welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And joining us today with his, uh, what, what beer are you drinking? I'm drinking a PK Pale Ale. Sorry, excuse yes. me. PK Pale Ale! <laughs> oh, perfect. Thank you for that. Uh, and now he's not allowed to introduce himself. Uh, <laughs> darn. It's our good friend, Will. Hi, Will. Hey, hey Will. Brendan. Hey, Stephen. Oh, thanks for joining us. Oh, there, there are sirens flying by to welcome me to the episode. <laughs> they know what a big deal this is. Uh, this I has wa- to be stopped. <laughs> wah, wah, Just wah, a fire wah, hose wah, through wah, my apartment wah, window. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, I, I think this is a big occasion for you on the show, Will, because I know how much Mother 3 and the Mother series overall means to you. And this is also the first time you and I are like, after months of friendship via text, we're finally <laughs> seeing each other now. And it's great. I had a great time. After months of Steven saying hey in my DMs. <laughs> anytime Mother now, 3 comes up. Now I can show <laughs> hey instead of telling hey, you know? That's kind of where we're at. I can at. see the hey in front of me. <laughs> um, so I think the three of us, just for context, Will, you you played Earthbound. Have you played Mother 1 or just Earthbound and Mother 3? I have only played Earthbound and Mother 3, but I watched a full playthrough of Mother 1 back in high school. You've got a strong connection with this series. Brendan and I are pretty new. Like I think Brendan and I both had like uh, peripheral experiences with Earthbound that were interrupted for some cosmic reason. Yeah. And Mother 3, uh, we've both now experienced to the end and we're very excited to talk about it. So I guess just like to open the episode, I, I would give the floor to you first, Will, because I want to hear like what this series means to you. You, you once uh, DM me after I said, hey, describing <laughs> it as the Sufjan Stevens of video games, which oh. I won't pressure you into explaining, but I'm just going to set the stage with that kind of sprinkle in the air. Okay. Um, so I did say <laughs> Welcome that. Welcome to bringing up a band on this podcast ever, Will. <laughs> you have to explain yourself. Nobody just lets you live. <laughs> there was reasoning for that. I am sorry, everyone. The reasoning was that Sufjan's music, at least in his early career, was very like jangly, like fluttery folk music, like really optimistic sounding, like pretty, funny, kind of hodgepodge a little bit like in the way it sounds like a middle school band uh, but i know like, where this is going okay <laughs> <laughs> but underlying all of his music like i think across every one of his albums is extreme grief right yep. like uh, just an extreme constant grief throughout the whole thing it applies more specifically to mother three than the series as a whole but yeah yeah that is that is what i meant by no i as i played <laughs> I, at first i thought you just wanted to bring up sufjan but then as i was <laughs> i mean playing i do it, that's I was, true you're, you're correct <laughs> Have you heard, hey guys, it's Christmas time? It's really good. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I definitely saw that connection of like the surface level joy and the and the sadness underneath. More importantly than Sufjan, I, I, I just want to hear like what this series means to you and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. It was um, one of my first really big, impactful media experiences as a whole. I think I, I like just like most people saw Lucas for the first time in Brawl. And I was like, who's that little blonde dweeb? And <laughs> then I got really interested. I think simultaneously I was like watching Let's Plays all the time as a teen and like happened to mm. see one of Mother 3 like begin. And I was like, I want to I want to play this myself, but I have no idea how because I learned that the game is only available in Japan. But I also learned that there's the fan translation. Right. And a friend of mine 
hooked me up with the ROM and Visual Boy Advance. I mean, the cartridge and a Game Boy Advance to play it on. <laughs> that I bought um, directly from Miyamoto himself <laughs> via check. <laughs> over AIM. Like, yeah, over so this AIM. Is, I'm hey. extremely dating this. <laughs> Miyamoto keeps DMing me, hey, does he have a copy of Mother <laughs> 3 or what? <laughs> and long story short, I played Mother 3, cried really hard, and I think the following year I got uh, the ZSNES emulator, the one where when you open it, there's a bunch of snow in the background. It's really mm-hmm. cute. Ooh, and yeah, I played fun. Earthbound. And then um, as like my one of my senior year essays in high school, I wrote a paper on the series. Oh my about, God, like, I love that. Ideology and stuff. It's really pretentious. I tried reading it um, like a week ago and it was pretty bad. But <laughs> I'll say this, Will. If, if anyone on earth read a paper they wrote in high school and was like, this is great, they have not grown <laughs> since. So yeah. I think that was a good sign. <laughs> I think you should pat yourself on the back. As much as I know, it's hard not to cringe at the past. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> take it all. But yeah, I have gone back to the game several. I've replayed Earthbound and Mother 3, like I think five times each or so wow. over the past decade and almost decade and a half now, which is really crazy to think about. And yeah, that's my experience with it. Would you say this was like, were there any other games before this that kind of, I mean, because just on the surface, Mother 3 is a game that I think goes to places very few RPGs, especially at that time, venture towards. So like, was this your first time kind of experiencing a game as art or like experiencing an RPG that like kind of resonated with you this personally? Or was it, you know... Not the formative experience. My, I think my formative like games are like mind-boggling masterpieces. Experiences Majora's Mask, but yeah. this was like a decade after I played Majora's Mask for the first time, almost. Mm. So like it was, I think it was so your the brain. First time. Your your eye was already open. You you were already <laughs> ready to accept my Mother Three's heart into your eye was open. <laughs> yeah. I hate during bonus episodes when we hear a episode title name that we can't <laughs> use. Third Gamer Eye is really good. Mother Third Gamer Eye. Um, yeah, uh, this was the, I think the first time I ever cried at a video game was Mother That's beautiful. I, I think that's, I mean, I, I asked that question because I, I found in my own life that like I have those really early childhood games like FF7 and Ocarina of Time that like prove to me that, that games are something that's like really special in a creative way. And then like I'll be reminded of that later in my life. So there are games that like I play that kind of reinforce that idea. And I think I've talked about on the show how like weirdly Mass Effect 2 was that for me like in college that like yeah. reminded me what a game could do. And then actually later was Undertale, um, which I think shares a lot. Uh, a lot in common like truly this was <laughs> i'll do another band analogy playing mother three post undertale was like listening to the pixies after getting into nirvana like it's like oh okay i see yeah, I yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> not to say that um i don't think undertale is derivative or like you know it definitely has it's a very different game despite the strong influence but like they're very clear like one-to-one inspirations yeah um, which we'll get into later thematically i was surprised at how much they're going after the same thing i think which yeah. we'll get into yeah. in like the spoiler section but i had this one moment during the end where i was like oh my god this is it was it was as if toby fox like watched this moment and was like what if a whole game just lived in this yes, moment yes exactly <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about uh we'll talk about that later but yeah, yeah. I, I guess i'll get into my experience which is that i keep trying to play earthbound and it doesn't <laughs> happen and it infuriates me every time uh, even recently even the recent playthrough 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still going through it. I didn't get to finish it in time for the episode, unfortunately. I am much further than I've ever gotten uh, in Earthbound now. I think I will probably actually see it through this time, but all the way back to Zeesness, uh, <laughs> that, like, from whenever that was, uh, I have tried playing this game multiple, multiple, multiple times. I always got to the same point, and then I stopped and moved on to other stuff and and it's just seem it just seems like so my shit and i've said that on this show before like it fit like twin peaks for example is a show that i've tried watching countless times and i have watched the first two episodes over and over again and then people who really like the show are like okay you've already seen the first two episodes and you never made it to episode three just start with episode three and then go from there and i said oh brilliant brain blast <laughs> i'm gonna start from episode three and then i watch episode three and then i never watched another one like it just happens over and over and over again even though i know deep down that every Everything that Twin Peaks is trying to do is exactly the kind of stuff that aesthetically I really resonate with. Uh, and I feel very similarly about Earthbound. And weirdly enough, like had the experience I wanted from Earthbound from what I played of Undertale, a game I also haven't finished. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think going into Mother 3 was like, a, all right, here it goes. I'm really yeah. going to do it. Whether I want to or not, I'm going to finish this entire game. And we'll get into how that went <laughs> later. <laughs> Yeah. Weirdly, I, I wouldn't say my experience is similar, but I think I played Earthbound in college. So before Undertale. So I played Earthbound like at some point in college on a uh, very legal way <laughs> to play it. You were handed uh, an and, SNES. <laughs> but um, I got like fairly far into it. And, I, and, and the thing I feel whenever I play Earthbound is like, the, again, this is so my shit. I love this. I love being here. I love the music. I love the atmosphere. But I don't feel a strong drive to continue. Weirdly, it's yeah. like when when I'm playing it, I love it. But I'm I don't really like need to know what happens next because it's so like kind of surreal and and yellow submarine adjacent. And yeah, just, like, you're just like living in a tone um, piece for a bit, and you're like, wow, yeah. I enjoyed that vibe. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's largely because we do this show. I think if we weren't doing this podcast, I would probably have already finished Earthbound. But I think there's like a, a little bit of a pressure to like move on in some ways that being said i also beat the post game of dragon quest 11 so i don't know if that's actually true <laughs> I, I i suck around when i get i get hooked you and i played 30 hours of fire emblem three houses <laughs> in 15 hours somehow so <laughs> time and space will bend in the aether if if the game demands it you know hey gamers open up your third eye this is my oh, caspar no. only run no items <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I played like a good amount of Earthbound and then that MacBook uh, that I was playing legally on just died. Like, completely. <laughs> the MacBook that I put my Earthbound cartridge into. Yes, that I, pl I bought a weird Mac adapter that plugged in S <laughs> SNES cartridges. That computer died and then I just didn't really go back to it, but I felt like I got like... I kind of felt sated by the experience. I guarantee the day I finish with Brown, I'm sure I'll be kicking myself. So like, this is not like, I'm not telling people like, don't finish the game. I, it, it's a classic for a reason. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on. And it, and I think if I had to say like one thing, this entire series does so well is that it reinforces the idea that fantasy can mean anything. You know, they, they've taken like a very Dragon Quest skeleton and made it like a suburban peanuts adjacent <laughs> psychedelic coming of age story you know a chimera if you will of wow. dragon quest and suburbia <laughs> oh yes and that's actually that's actually very good 
I think one of the reasons people like flock to the series because like so often when we get RPGs, it's like either like Dickensian medieval fantasy or like something else like that's been done a lot. And like you don't see a lot of risks where like a game can call itself like a fantasy RPG and and just be this weird and this unique. So anyway, I played I played Earthbound for a bit and liked it and knew of Mother 3 and always wanted to play it. And then one fateful day, my good friend Brendan Bigley got me a gift that was the cartridge of Mother 3, the fan translation in it. And I've been playing that on another gift that is the Game Boy Advance made by a friend Kyle Starr. So playing Mother 3 on like a backlit Game Boy Advance is extremely surreal. <laughs> I feel like unplaced in time. This shouldn't exist, but it does. And I, I really, I think Mother 3 has a little bit of that incentive to keep going that I was kind of missing in Earthbound. Where like Absolutely, yeah. Mother 3 is much more focused on plot. And I think the best thing the game does without going to spoilers is that it takes place in one place the whole time. And you get so attached to that place and those characters and you see how they change over time and like you want to see what happens next. And it's divided into these chapters that like have these really, I think my favorite moments in the game are the text that, that is displayed at the end of a chapter. They're all so beautiful and they all make you feel like you want to continue and you, by the end, you want to save the world because you've spent so much time there. Um, and that's something that I think really pays off in RPGs. That's something that Dragon Quest XI did actually, where like the focus so much is on the setting that like you're so much more invested in the quote unquote end of the world because you actually have lived in the place for so long. So that's my experience. <laughs> Thanks for the gift, Brendan. Yeah. I learned Japanese to play this game and then imported a cartridge legally from Japan <laughs> and played the cartridge. Oh, sorry, if I, sorry if I reminded Miyamoto and the authorities of your legal gift that you gave me. Uh, I, I uh, played it on uh, my handheld emulator that I've been referring to a lot on the show recently, the Anbernic RG351P, uh, a really <laughs> wonderful device. But it was really great to play this on a handheld. And I think a, a lot of yes. the reason that I tended to bounce from a lot of games I've tried emulating in the past is because I'm playing them on like a computer or a MacBook or something else that is like made to do literally everything else. So it's really hard to sit there and be like, I'm going to play surf the web. Yeah. I'm going to play Pokemon for the 58th time. Or alternatively, I can go to youtube.com and watch anything. Uh, <laughs> and having, having a device that's like specifically built just to do one thing, I think was, uh, was a really wonderful way of doing it. The weird like hitch in that is that when you have a device like this, you tend to have a lot of games on it. So it, it is hard sometimes to be sitting there and be like, I could play any of these games at any moment. <laughs> but that said, I, I played this game pretty much every morning for about a half hour before work for months, just about. Uh, and uh, that was a really interesting way to play this game. It was kind of an inverse Dragon Quest, I guess, in that way, where you're supposed to play half hour of Dragon Quest before you go to bed. I was playing half hour of Mother 3 before work, which really would sometimes fuck me up for my whole day of work, <laughs> <laughs> depending on what happened in the story, which uh, yeah. we'll also get into. But yeah, this really was one of those instances where I was like, you know, come hell or high water, uh, I, I'm going to push through even the parts that I find the most frustrating in this game. Uh, and uh, I, I sure almost got there. Uh, should we should we talk about how you felt about the game in general? Um, yeah, I think that works. And at then, this point, so this will be spoiler free still, and then we'll get into spoiler stuff. Yeah. Do you want to go first, Brendan, or should I, or should Will? What do you want to do? Oh, I'm. Re I don't know actually. I'm. I'm not in charge here. I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> I really loved it. I, I thought that, I mean, this game was, to be completely honest, extremely overhyped for me. Like, I've been hearing for the past 10 years about how great this game is. 
um i was a huge fan of undertale and like to play the game that was like maybe the biggest influence for that game felt like a lot to take on Mm. emotionally and and metaphorically and cosmically and uh i did have something spoiled so like i actually knew like the ending moments which i actually don't think ruined it at all because i think that without spoiling i think the strength of this game are the moments that are not broadcasted to be honest i think that the moments like that you encounter just by exploring the setting or that you there's something very loose about the storytelling that and I, and not to go back to Sufjan, but like I do think comparing this game to an album and the and the focus on music in this game is very important and that I think there will be certain moments that hit certain people way harder than others and I think it kind of it, it emotionally to me is similar to listening to an album where there, there's going to be a song that hits you hard but you don't know why and that's how this game felt to me where there are just certain moments that may not be like the scenes that everyone points out but i'm just like oh my something about that like really reminded me of like a buried moment of my own past or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? i'm really interested um, to hear from both of you what that moment is because i know i know mine like immediately there is one moment in this uh in, in this game that hit me like a like a freight train and it's yeah. like towards the beginning, uh, weirdly enough, and I, I still think about it, and and I think it it kind of in, informs my thoughts on the rest of the game from that point on. Yeah. But so I guess just to say how I felt about it, I think narratively it it met the expectations. I I really loved the experience. As a game, it can be extremely frustrating, and it, it's it can be so frustrating in moments that it puts me in a hard position to like make a blanket recommendation because like it has a lot of what you would assume an older RPG, like the issues you would run into in like a nineties RPG would have. There's moments where there's no direction given to you. There are moments where the only way to progress is to like talk to someone that is not broadcasted or like check a (laughs) chair in a room. Yeah. Uh, At the very end of the game, I almost shut it off because it just (laughs) says end question mark. And you're supposed to move around with the D pad are you kidding me? I almost missed like the most beautiful epilogue of all time because I didn't know the one thing the game like almost as a joke left out. Um, that stuff sucks so much ass that like it almost ruins. Like there are so many moments of this game where I was like, should we just call it off? Like, should we call off the episode? Because uh, it's it's. And and this is coming from someone who has played Dragon Quest V recently. Like, there are fewer excuses for a game that came out when this game did to have those, like, really esoteric moments. Um, and, and it ultimately sticks the landing. I don't think it ever goes to a point where it would, like, ruin the experience. But it does get in its own way repeatedly. And, and that's really frustrating because I think that most people would really resonate with this narrative. And there's, like, so many roadblocks that, like, get in the way of enjoying that. I mean, this is, like, the opposite of accessibility in many ways. <laughs> Not to mention that it was never even released in the U.S. So you yeah, can't even wait, get it. Okay, so <laughs> that's, that's a thing that we have, like, completely glossed over. And it's probably worth mentioning. So th- yeah. this is a game that, like, famously fans like Will have been demanding Nintendo <laughs> release. Hey, let's, let's calm down. <laughs> Will frequently books trips to Seattle to go uh, pick it outside of the Nintendo of America offices. And he yells Reggie at the windows, even though Reggie doesn't even work there anymore. Right. He knows Doug won't listen, so he's got to call for Reggie, just hoping. That yeah. he'll hear, well, like, his name's Doug Bowser. He'd never listen to me. He knows right. what he's doing. That's true. That's uh, true. So this is a game that like famously uh, fans have like pleaded Nintendo to release in, in the West forever. Ever, pretty much since it came out and it has not been localized and Nintendo has 
has responded by way of like a claymation. Um, what, what is that? <laughs> robot chicken. Robot. Yeah, the robot chicken team put together a thing uh, for one E3 uh, one year where like a fan, like a, a claymation fan in the E3 audience was like, when are you going to release Mother 3? And, and Reggie lit him on fire. So that was like. <laughs> The closest thing <laughs> Nintendo has ever had to like an actual response to those people. Uh, so because of that, the game is really if you if you are an English speaking person, um, it, the game is really only playable via a ROM of the game with a fan translation that has been in the works for years. Decades, um, yeah, yeah, it's been the works for a really long time. Uh, Steven, you you uh, put it really well once in a conversation that you and I had about it, which is like the way Nintendo is releasing this game is by not shutting down the fan translation is by not setting yeah. a cease and desist to that team. Um, and I really think that that's the case. And and I, I think it's also probably worth mentioning in terms of like the roadblocks that you were just referring to as well is like this game had a wildly troubled development. This is this was supposed to be an N64 game for a really long time. It was in development for like years as an N64 game. Uh, and then eventually they were like, OK, it's been in development for so long for the N64 that now the N64 actually isn't powerful enough to do the things that they're trying to do. So do we port <laughs> it to the GameCube? Is this a GameCube game now? Because like we're working on the GameCube and that's going to come out in a couple of years. Or is that too late? Does that not even make sense? What do we do with this thing? Uh, and I think it was Awada who who suggested like, see if you can remake the whole thing on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> And uh, to their credit, the team did it, but in in a really like rushed production cycle, from what mm. I've read, um, the the game kind of got like sped through development. Um, and what's wild is seeing footage of the N sixty four game and having played the Game Boy one. It's like one to one. Like they really did take the entirety of the thing they wanted to make for the N sixty four and and like shrink it down to like almost MS Paint pixel art for the Game <laughs> Boy Advance, which is like shocking that they were able to yeah. do that because like narratively it's wildly ambitious uh, and and I think would have made a lot of sense on on the N sixty four. But I'm glad that it got moved to the Game Boy Advance. That's I think where I land on is like I think that this feels like a better continuation of that franchise. You know, if you wanted to play Mother, then you can go do that. Uh, and then you can play uh, Earthbound and then Mother 3. And like, you're going to have a pretty holistic experience where I think playing Earthbound and then going to Mother 3 on the N64 or the GameCube would have been like a, a, a tonal whiplash, maybe. And also, I just think it's aged better visually as well. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say. Like the footage of N64, like Boney the dog has like human eyes that are like <laughs> popping out and yeah. like really i mean it's probably on purpose knowing the game's tone but like we've, we've talked a lot about how well the game boy advances aged on the show visually and i also think that this game is alongside many others that like proved that the game boy advance is like an rpg box you know yeah. so like there's like there are so many ports and originals that are that are wonderful on the game boy advance of of rpgs but yeah that, I, I think you're right i think it looks better on the game boy advance yeah, it, it has that. Um, so like to a little bit to what I was saying about Sufjan earlier, it has that like middle school band charm to it. Mm. Like the fact that it's like little tiny pixels, it really does look like like Brendan said, look like it was made in MS Paint. Like the music is like little like Game Boy, not necessarily chip tune, but not necessarily orchestrated either music. Like it really pushes the I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the soundtrack at length at some point, but it yeah, really sure. pushes like the 
soundtrack limits of the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, yeah. The, the score in this like game is really incredible. Crunchy 8-bit vocal sessions that happen in this game, which I was like shocked <laughs> by. The first time I heard a vocal sample come out of the Game Boy Advance speaker, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this isn't allowed. My biggest regret is not... We brought it up in passing on our on our Game Centrics episode, but like having finished it, I think this would have been on that episode too. Because like, yeah. it plays such an important role thematically as well. I mean, even the attack button, the icon for attack is a music note and there's the whole like rhythm game that uh we'll talk about later because yeah we have to get wild yeah (laughs) (laughs) but but i think it's i think that the role music plays in the game is really interesting um and the and the role bands play which i have to talk about later is (laughs) is incredible so like this game is putting like music on the same level as like the master sword where it's like that's the key like you win through music which is really (laughs) wonderful I, i think I, I guess just to uh, keep going into my experience with this game, I just had like the most frustrating time with it. In, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think a, a large part of that is due to like the last 10 to 11 hours of uh, my gameplay experience have all been like crunched together uh, and, and just got like really, really brutal in, in, a, in a boss fight that I'm sure we're going to get into later in the spoiler section. But that experience happened multiple times throughout my playthrough. And I'm a person who like, if you've listened to the show long enough, you know that I'm like kind of a recent RPG fan and specifically like turn-based combat is, is a thing that I'm kind of like new to, even though I've played like enough at this point to have felt pretty comfortable about going into Mother 3 and like knowing how to work my way around that combat system. I am fucking awful at this game, like really bad. <laughs> And like as as much as I wanted to love this game, I had such a hard time with the combat in multiple instances against multiple bosses where like, like I said, I, I played a half an hour every morning for a while. There would be like whole weeks where I'd be stuck on a boss fight and then I would go back and I would like try and grind for a while and then, you know, raise my character's levels like way past where they're supposed to be and then still lose because I had like a really difficult time uh, just like maneuvering my way around the special abilities and the combat and specifically the rhythm game uh, side of combat, which I just find to be like completely inscrutable um it, it, very frustrating and and that really bums me out and that's kind of where why i land where you land steven which is like i can't give a blanket recommendation for this game i think a lot of people would like it i think a lot of people would have a really good oh, time yeah. playing this game and i think it is worth pushing through those moments to be able to see more of it because every time i got to yes. see more of the story and every time i got to see more of what was happening in the town and with those characters and, and the fact that you're checking up on them like constantly throughout the course of play, you just have this like wild attachment to those people. And it's just really a bummer that there are so <laughs> many instances in which I was like, I lit like this morning I texted both of you and I was like, I'm actually, I'm not going to be able to finish this game on time because there's one boss in particular that I'm stuck on. And I was stuck <laughs> on that boss for like actually two hours this morning. Yeah. Well, I want to read the actual text. <laughs> I sent a Reddit link like, oh, yeah, this boss is actually like really hard. And Brendan said, and I quote, yeah, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't dear listener. I wasn't out. I I continued playing. I grinded for like another hour and a half and then went back and then fought the boss again uh, and ended up winning and just like it was like one of those Dark Souls bosses that's not even fun when you beat them. You know, right. like, yeah, usually yes, yes. The, the beautiful feeling of like the end of a Bloodborne or a Dark Souls boss is like the fuck you. I beat you. Ha <laughs> ha. I have mastered this game's shit. And this was like, a, I, I'm not even happy that this is over because I know like what it's cost me, um, <laughs> which is like my actual human lifetime. So that said, I actually didn't finish playing the game. And that 
really frustrates me on a lot of levels. One, because I thought I was pacing myself out enough to be able to finish it on time. Partially because I feel like it's a failure on my own part to like just be able to manage my own time. Um, (laughs) But on top of all of that, I do think there's a piece of it that's like, I don't know how to recommend this game to people because of how like frustrating of an experience I had towards the end. I was I was like I had that catharsis of of an emotional impact of the ending um, stuff that we'll talk about later was like taken from me because I, I just couldn't do it myself. And that I think if I can't do it, then like how would I recommend it to like my dad or someone, you know, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I just I as much as I love, love, love so much of what this game is doing and as much as I'm like appreciative that I pushed past those moments and I finally watched Twin Peaks episode four. I, <laughs> it's like those moments were still undercut by some stuff that I like really can't abide by. And then there's like a whole nother layer of like stuff that just hasn't aged well in this game yes, at all. Yeah, absolutely. And like reasons that I think this game will literally never be released by Nintendo. Like regardless of if you buy our whole thing, we're like, oh yeah, them not shutting the fan translation down is the reason, you know, or like is is uh, enough evidence that they're not going to release it. Like there's content in the game that would be like a liability for Nintendo to release it. <laughs> um, so like yeah. all of that stuff put together just makes my feelings about mother three really conflicted in a way that i like surprised by now on the outset uh because i went in my first like five to ten hours were just like joyful bliss you know yes you messaged me every day like will i love this game will this might be my favorite game ever and i just watched that slowly crumble away over the course of the past (laughs) few weeks there's a point where i stopped texting you that (laughs) uh And uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm really conflicted about it. This is one of the first times maybe ever where like I felt emotionally like I was crunching to finish a game for the show. And on top Same, of that, yeah. this is one of the first times ever where I feel like I'm bringing a show or I'm bringing a game to the table that like I think I dislike more than I like. Because as much as there are moments I really loved, I think the game gets its, in its own way so much that uh, I, I just am, am frustrated by it. I feel like... Um Oh man, this is going to sound like an extreme humble brag, but I've been playing this game for like, thir- I think 13 years now. Like I've played it like, I don't know, six times or something like that. And it never occurred to me how hard it was until I saw you two play it. You two like, especially like Steven, you are RPG experts, people who have like... <laughs> People who are like, oh, yeah, Lady Butterfly, Pff, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did actually and then text watching you, you walk up to like a bass guitar. Yeah. And be I like, like, what the I fuck do, do I do? Take a Starstorm? Yeah. Yeah. For the record, there is literally nothing you two could say about this game that would hurt my feelings because it's all probably true. <laughs> I just want to make that absolutely clear. I mean, I also think it's stuff we would agree on. I, I mean, again, I really am so glad I played it. And despite the issues, I am glad I push through but like i am coming at that from a very unique angle which is again why i can't say like everybody should play this i think if you you know like i honestly think like you could probably you could probably watch it and be okay <laughs> Ex- uh, yes you know, I, agree. I i think that you know i'm glad i played it but i think like if you're someone who wants to experience the narrative but like this all sounds intimidating which it is watch it and and see where you land on it because i think it's like a really wonderful story despite uh its own narrative moments where it's like also troubling and to go back to your kind of formative experience with it will i think like this also came out at a time where i imagine like for many many people this was the first game they played that made them feel this way or like made people aware that games could like be as artistically ambitious as this 
So like I definitely see why it's held up in such a high regard. But I also, in terms of like Nintendo releasing it, like I, I, I really want to honor the work the team who translated this has done. Like they yeah, did such a good job. Absolutely. You know, whether or not Nintendo releases it, I don't know, like, unless you're curious, I don't, and this might be a hot take, but I don't know if we like need it because I, I, I think to experience the work that has been done, it's a great experience. And I think that many games have kind of picked up the torch since. So I think that like in in the history, this game serves a very critical role. But I think like you probably have experienced the impact Mother Three has made without even recognizing Absolutely. it. Absolutely, that's yeah. kind of what I would say. Like as objectively as possible, as someone who liked the game but recognizes that like it's a tough sell <laughs> for many reasons. That's what I would say. Like as a blanket thing, I think that's true. And I I am so with you that like I almost kind of don't want Nintendo to even like attempt <laughs> releasing this because the fan <laughs> translation is so well done and is and is like such a clean experience that like unless you're i don't know really really cognizant of the fact that there's a screen that pops up in the beginning that's like here's the fan the unofficial fan translation whatever 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 unless every single time you like write a write a note to yourself that's like remember this (laughs) like you'll just think that it's the official version (laughs) of the game for the most part it it just feels so professionally done that it's like a seamless experience Um. Dipping a little tiny baby toe into potential spoiler territory, but... Um, How coy. It's like to bounce off of your guys' idea that it can't really be ported well. I think Nintendo and video games as a whole still have a really hard time understanding, working with, and writing queer characters. So what would end up happening is either the queer characters in this game are done even more of a disservice than they have already been done by Mother 3 as it exists, or they will be erased completely to be released in America. Like, and I don't know. I, I, um, over the years, I, I know Brendan was saying that I am the person who was, had a fireball chucked at him by Reggie Filsame in a robot chicken sketch, but (laughs) (laughs) I... I think I agree with you, too, that like I'm happy with my little cartridge uh, that was given to me as a gift by Pablo and Callie. Shout out. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay with living with Mother 3 as a little file on my computer. Yeah. Weirdly, though, what what I I would have an easier time, even though I I think I liked Mother 3 more. I mean, I finished it, so it's hard to compare. (laughs) I do think Earthbound is an easier sell for like everyone. Like, I think like absolutely even just playing a little bit of Earthbound, you'll like get why people like this series, even if you don't like finish it, you know, like it it starts off so strange and so fun and so weird that like you're like, oh, I'm into this. Yeah. You know, regardless of how long you stick around. I actually think also, I, I guess just to like veer the car away from like uh a lot of my mother three negativity and like me not being able to recommend it <laughs> if you're hearing all of this from the three of us and you're like i definitely want to check this out i would recommend either playing earthbound first or playing like the first like two hours of earthbound first um as much as i think you could do mother three first if you wanted to there's something about those first two hours of earthbound versus the first two hours of mother three that will like really light up a lot of the synapses in your brain and you'll make some very interesting thematic connections between the two even just in those intros um totally and and uh i i'll I'll save what i mean by that for spoilers um but i i will say just to um i guess double back and say I really love a lot of what I played in this game. <laughs> I think the thing that like is really striking to me is of the, you know, 2D top-down RPGs that I've played in my life. I don't think I've ever played one that that deals with some of the emotional territory that this game is is uh like stomping along. Uh <laughs> 
I I was blown the fuck away by some of the cutscenes in this game. And this game is like surprisingly full of cutscenes. <laughs> um, yeah. What yeah. they're doing on the Game Boy Advance is unlike really maybe any other game on that system. It, they they are not only making use of the full power of the Game Boy Advance, but like doing things that I didn't even think were literally possible on that thing. It's a it's a wild experience just from like that perspective but narratively it's like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch and as you were mentioning earlier even moments that you don't think are going to be gut punches are gut punches for somebody else um <laughs> and, and i can't wait to talk about that stuff i i think this game succeeds a lot um it just like failed me as a person who like is not very good at turn-based combat and like wanted to see it through and i probably still will see it through by the way like when we're done recording this episode i'm not done playing mother 3 i'll probably finish it on my own but i sure did watch a youtube video of the ending uh and and i just kind of wish i'd gotten there myself but that said uh it's really a a stellar thing i want to make something absolutely clear to you too um and i guess everyone this is this might be a hot take earthbound is significantly harder than mother 3 like in oh, every really? in every way yeah um like mid to late game in earthbound is some of the like most hair pulling frustrating combat conceivable it is like a truly cool. there's like seventeen thousand different status ailment types mother three <laughs> has like five like you can get sunstroke you can get homesick you can get hungry like it's there's everything and Shit. um the, All right. the combat later in the game is just so unforgiving like it's it's like i i have felt the way brendan felt about mother three's combat in earthbound many many times i'll say this it's made me love dragon quest even more <laughs> same man burn <laughs> dragon quest 5 came out in 1991 15 years before mother 3 and is more inviting in every way <laughs> and that is also a game you might need to like check a haunted game facts for him for every now and then <laughs> but uh yeah I, I at the end of the day i think i think like we all recognize why this game is beloved and we all love it in our own way and i'm excited to talk about the specifics i think that will also be like a way more positive conversation like when we talk about the story beats there's going to be moments that we like have to call out and criticize but i think like that's where the game succeeds more than it fails yeah Absolutely. so do you want to you want to move on to spoilers then <laughs> let's move on uh, so last last warning, dear listener, we're going to go into Mother 3 spoilers and uh, it's going to be a good time. See you then. Yeah, but our, fi- our final non-spoiler Aether <laughs> review is four and a half stars out of five. <laughs> it was too fucking hard. Um, I, I can't beat the bass guitar. What am I supposed to do against this thing full of trumpets? <laughs> the, the Mozart ghost. Uh, cool. We will be back real soon with more about ghosts and Mozart. See you soon. <laughs> uh, you want to do chapter one? Uh, yeah, let's it. do it. Uh, this is a bummer. <laughs> like absolutely like the, oh i can't like especially coming from playing earthbound like for people who were fans of the series before mother three came out like you play earthbound in the beginning it's like there's an asteroid and there's a bee like wow this is fun and then mother three um are we in spoiler territory now We're yeah welcome oh, yeah. back to the show we're, we're talking in the pool, about man. mother three uh <laughs> <laughs> spo- spoilers <laughs> what, what were we about to say will 
Sorry, I need, I need to point out that had very similar energy. There's a point in the very beginning of the game where Alec, uh, Lucas's grandfather, turns to the camera and goes, oh, by the way, talk to frogs to save the game. Okay, I'm going to go back to the game. Yeah, love like That's like, yeah. if I had to cast Mother 3, you would be Alec. Like 1,000%, Brendan. You'd be such a good Alec. <laughs> that was it's the thing, was the game humor. opened with so much of that and then like bails on it. Uh, <laughs> and I that, that was the stuff that I loved, like loved, loved. Yeah. Like the beginning where they asked you like, hey, what is your name? Like your re- like you, the person playing the video game. I want you to type your full name in- into this text box right now. And I won't tell you why for another 25 hours. Uh, <laughs> I I love that. But then they didn't do anything with it for another 25 hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we're back. So hey, we're back in the show. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> we're back in the show. Well, what were you about to say? I was going to say um, it's just like Earthbound's happy, fun, lucky. You're a fun, cool kid. You have an annoying neighbor. There's dogs. There's a, yeah. a dude. With, there's a dude with a robot. There's an arcade. There's a, there's a bunch of guys in hula hoops running around. Mother three, first chapter, your mom dies. Yeah. Like, and it's like, <laughs> oh, 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 OK. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think, um, like, I mean, and I think this is kind of what Brendan was getting at with the synapses between the two. And I think it's not as simple as, like, one is happy or sad, necessarily. I mean, that's definitely evident. But I think that, like, Earthbound has this sense of adventure, whereas, like, Mother 3 sets you up for loss in all ways. So, like, in the very beginning, you're kind of experiencing this family unit between Flint, the uh, stoic dad cowboy. We love Flint here. Hinoa. The mother and then the twin brothers, uh, Lucas and Klaus, as I was corrected before we started recording, uh, who is an anagram of Lucas. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so you have like a very like too good to be true, like fun. We're hanging out kind of similar earthbound. It's like you're hanging out <laughs> tackling, uh, dinosaurs. tackling dinosaurs <laughs> in the backyard as kids do. And Alex says, oh, by the way, talk to frogs to save. <laughs> Um, and then I think in the first chapter, you're largely playing as Flint. And that's something that this game I really loved is that you don't even play as Lucas until like chapter four. It takes like yeah. a good like 10 hours to even play as the protagonist, which really sets it up to be like a good ensemble story. Like you care about everyone in this game in, right. a, in a really deep way. And I think the game knows that like the simple act of you playing as them is is going to do a lot of the work. And what's really fascinating, and we'll get on, maybe talk about this more later, is that when you're playing as a character, they are a silent JRPG protagonists, but when they're not being played as they talk. So like, I think there's a moment actually at the very end of chapter one where Flint tells Duster thanks and then it switches perspective to Duster, which I love that chapter. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but chapter one, I thought was like a really cool intro to the town. Flint is like conveniently overpowered, which is great. Like all his attacks are like, do you want to do a lot of damage or a lot <laughs> of damage? <laughs> like, uh, you can hit him with this, this tree trunk. Right. And as and you get to know the town, you're looking, I think, for uh, Hinoa, right? Mm-hmm. And, and your sons and um, they're like staying up at a cabin in the woods essentially or like in the mountains yeah yeah exactly so you're in this place called Tasmalee village and uh, you get to know the townspeople they're kind of in like a Legend of Zelda way where like you know it has like a very like um, <laughs> there's like 18 checkoff guns in this game <laughs> where like they're just objects or character like there's a character who eats bananas and constantly throws the peel next to him and it's like you know he's gonna slip <laughs> there's a character who carries around a big piece of wood like a a two by four yeah and basically as you alluded to will at a certain point flint discovers that his wife hinoa has been killed and that's actually i think uh, you might have been referring to this earlier brendan but 
in terms of just what the Game Boy Advance is capable of and what this graphical style is capable of. The animation of Flint like receiving the news and just like breaking the campfire is so like raw and vulnerable. And, yeah. and the way that the villagers try to hold him back and he starts hitting them. And then of course the guy who conveniently carries a two by four all the time hits Flint and knocks him out. Like yeah, that's that's easily. I mean that's probably a scene that a lot of people point out, but that's like one of the most stunning moments of the game. Where yeah. that's I think where it reveals what it's capable of. And this and the text that follows says something along the lines of this is the first time the villagers here f- understood sadness or like came to know what sadness is. And I think that's the moment that kind of mirrors Earthbound. Where Earthbound is like you're kind of in what a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons would believe is reality the whole game. And this game it's like that is taken away from you suddenly because of this tragic loss. Yeah. That's the thing I think uh, about Earthbound is like I know I, I haven't finished Earthbound, but I know a lot of like what that game is trying to do because I've just like absorbed it through osmosis, uh, you know, via like being a person who reads a lot about video games over the past couple decades. Um, so I, I kind of know a lot of what like Earthbound is going for thematically. And, and that game really is like childlike wonder. <laughs> Isn't this fun? You get to run around the town. You're old enough to run around the town by yourself. Isn't this a good time? You're on a cool adventure. It's kind of like what Pokemon is going for, like the early Pokemon bit, games. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Earthbound is like, oh, there's a weird meteor that crash lands. You like go out in the middle of the night. Your mom's like, okay, go out in the middle of the night and inspect this meteor <laughs> that crash landed in our town. See you later. And you go and you find a like a, a celestial bee that starts like giving you quests as if it's Navi from Legend of Zelda. Um, <laughs> I love Buzz Buzz so much. Just like a, like a bizarre opening. And it's like so cosmic and weird. You meet an alien uh, named, uh, the, I think it's the mini Star Man or like young Star yeah, Man. Junior. Star Man Jr. That's who it is yeah early on it's just like so like sci-fi whimsical in a way uh and and like really captures this childlike wonder which i think is really aided by the art style as well yes. in that game stark contrast to mother three where <laughs> very similar art style really going for the same thing and i think if you've played the beginning of earthbound this is kind of what i was talking about if you if you play the beginning of the earthbound you're kind of expecting a similar thing like all right there's like this normal ass village here let's like see how they're going to set it up to be like cosmic and weird and fun and like i know kind of what i'm getting out of these games and and you're then confronted with this this moment you know <laughs> even in the beginning when you're playing as flint you're running around you learn so much about the townspeople as you were saying and you learn a lot about their relationships with one another which i think another thing that's really aided by the ability to switch between not ability to but the the fact that you're forced to switch between protagonists at times is not only you're learning about these people but you're learning about the relationship with each other via talking to them as other people so like people will say different things to you when you're playing as flint versus when you're playing as duster because people have a very different relationship to duster than they do to flint flint is like cool guy in town everybody likes flint not everybody likes duster uh, and, and and they'll like say that out loud a lot um, your breath stinks like a yeah, lot of that it's shit fascinating um but but the fact that like you go in with these maybe preconceived notions of what this game is going to be even if you haven't played earthbound just based on the art style alone you kind of assume what this game is going to turn into and then you're confronted with like no this man's wife died and in retaliation he immediately picks up a burning log and tries to hit other people in the head with it because he just like can't stand the loss there's like no mute it just like takes your breath away in like the most gut punch horrible way possible it's really a a brutal opening i was so shocked by it uh and, and i was like as as shocked as i was i was so like on board with the ambition that this game was going for because i have 
totally. never played a game that's like that has this kind of art style, has this kind of gameplay that is even attempting to do something on this level. Yeah. Even games that like try to, like other Final Fantasy games that are 2D or like Dragon Quest games, things like that. Like there's always like the person that dies at the beginning or something, you know, so the protagonist can go out on their own and do whatever. But it never hits as hard as in this moment. Uh, I, I was sh- fl- floored. I think it also like it, it aids this idea of like who is in control when like the control of Flynn is taken away from you in that moment and he's just you know you're not going to yeah. your battle screen he's just striking at townspeople it feels like that's the only thing Flint knows how to do which I mean you know jumping ahead a little bit for the rest of the game until the very end Flint is literally on autopilot of just visiting Hinawa's grave and looking for Klaus yeah and I think there's something about the twins that feels like this kind of like it almost feels like Lucas and Klaus are like those two sides of Flint where Klaus is the kid who's a little bit hasty, as his father says. He's he's like, I'm looking for mom. I'm going to go and, and try to find her. I'm going to kill the thing that killed mom, the, the Drago, the Mecha Drago. And he goes out and he's gone for most of the game. Uh, and then Lucas is just crying constantly. Yeah. So like you have these kind of, there, there's a lot of duality explored in the game. And I think that that relationship of like how to deal with grief and how those two paths develop is really well done. That's like, that's the heart of the game, I think, is like you could trace a direct line from that campfire scene to the ending. It would be the story, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Of, of this game and those characters. Yeah, it's, 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 Chapter one is real good. Uh, it's extremely it, rough. It's a good time. A good, yeah, it, a good it really time, is you like. <laughs> so um, I want to. Every time I've played this game, chapter one has never gotten any easier because I yeah. always notice a new thing about chapter one that makes it harder to stomach. Like the the music during chapter one is consistently extremely tense. Like, it really mirrors like the feeling in Flint's stomach, like of my wife and kids are nowhere to be found. Right. Like, yeah. Constantly. He's also, we, we didn't mention this, but he's like jumping into action to go like save some people from a, from a forest fire that's happening as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there, there's like this added level of tension. That's like, Oh my God, what if they're stuck in this forest fire? You know, yeah. I have to, I have to save all the people here. And it turns out like, that's not even related to what killed them. Uh, and it kind of feels like everyone relies on Flint, like not even just his family, but <laughs> yeah. like the whole town, even the guy who carries around the big plank of wood, like needs Flint to, yeah. to operate. I so, think like, he's the sheriff of the town. Like I'm that pretty makes sure. Yeah. But it's never specifically said that he is. Right. So he gets thrown into his own jail cell then? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Woof. They just had to like put him somewhere. Cause like we, this guy knows a lot of abilities that are like, do you want to do a lot of damage or even more damage? <laughs> Let's put him in the cell. Uh, do you want to beat up the, the <laughs> there was an, um, going back to like the art direction of this game being like something completely out of this world compared to what the Game Boy Advance was doing. Like there's a whole animation for Flint eating an apple and finding a lockpick inside of it. Right. Like there there's so many yeah. different sprite animations in this game for weirdly specific stuff that it's mind boggling. And that's that's those are the moments that I really think the narrative pays off. You know, when I think like it 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 commits so hard to these like almost uncharacteristic moments of what you're expecting it, it usually lands but yeah that 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 campfire scene plus the this is the first time that people knew sadness it, it kind of cemented this idea of like in terms of um one listening to an album and what emotions come up i think that chapter one and the whole game especially the early hours really capture this feeling that i remembered as a kid who was like maybe you know in my like early teenage years there's this there's this switch 
and your confidence in the world. At least that, that's what I felt. Where yeah. I feel like when I was a kid, I just sort of understood that everything was being taken care of. I think what's worth noting is that the town doesn't use money at all in the beginning chapters. Like you go to the shop and like, yeah, just take it. And that that to me is like, <laughs> that's how a child perceives the story. You just go there and take stuff and like no one needs anything. But there's also like such an innocence to that. Uh, and then you learn like what the world is capable of and, and for better and for worse, very much for worse. And it's like reality starts to change alongside it. You know, I remember being 18 and like, not to get too personal, but I remember that was the time in my life where I was like really grappling with my mental health for the first time. And I didn't feel like myself and I didn't trust like other people's perception of me. I would have absolutely done what Flint did at the campsite if I heard bad news, Yeah, you know? And I think that that that's what resonates so strongly with me in this game is like the pains of growing up and then at the end the beauty of what you've gained from like living through adversity and it really pays off a lot of games try to tackle that like oh the power of friendship but like this game actually <laughs> fucking does it like it really actually does that's it that's a theme throughout the entire series is like literally the power of friendship like as long as I have my friends I can do this like but it's executed well <laughs> right, exactly, because it's like these characters don't really know what their life means until... And not that you need to face this tragedy to, like, find your purpose in the story, but, like they they've grown stronger through it in a way that really pays off and in my own life i just feel like that the most uncertain times the times in my life where i i feel feverish as lucas and kumatora often do <laughs> i i've often emerged like a more empathetic and mature human being afterwards and it's really hard to know that when you're in the middle of it and it, it just feels like the creator of this game i don't know how autobiographic it is but the, it just feels like he really channeled like the growth one does through grief and yeah. i think you can just look at chapter one almost as its own story and like get that in a way absolutely yeah that's actually a little bit of like what bums me out about where the game goes from there as well is like there are a bunch of chapters that are just like embroiled in like the weird mystery of like who are the people in pig masks and like that's not the thing that I find most <laughs> interested about or most interesting about the game as a whole uh, and, and yeah. thematically like you start seeing some chimeras and stuff and like it all gets put into context and like explained in a way that makes a little bit more sense and like is more thematically on brand I would say like by the end of it but there are like many many hours of this game where you are just like flying completely without a compass and like they just hope that you're going to continue doing it. And like, for the most part, as we said in the pre-spoiler moment, the game does pull you through those moments. You know, every time you finish a chapter, you immediately want to jump into the next chapter and go, which is, you know, the sign of great storytelling. But I I do think that chapter one set me up for something that the other chapters didn't really deliver on until the very, very end. And I don't know, maybe that's the point, but we can talk about that later. You want to move on to chapter two? Yeah, I'd be down. Yeah, I would love uh, to. So... This is the moment that Steven was alluding to earlier where you hear the the silent protagonist speak and it kind of like rocks your whole world because how often does that happen? But we're playing as Duster, the yeah. bad breath uh, ninja. He's a yeah. thief in the game, but I think like that might be. I, I weirdly like if I had to shoot, I, I loved all the characters, but like I have a soft spot for Duster because like. There's something very bizarre and like wholesome and like a Wes Anderson way about the relationship between him and his father. Yeah. Like, cause they're both like master like thieves, but they're just like two like dudes. I always got the vibe that Duster was like a little bit too old to still be living with his father. Like, <laughs> you know, cause like Lucas and Kumatora are like, I guess like roughly teenage to like, you know, late teenage years. 
I would wager based on the art style, but I always guess that like I'm like Dustin's like at least 28. Like you know, like he's like, <laughs> I don't know like why he's in the story, but it's not super clear how old any of them are. But I am pretty sure that Lucas is. Uh, this is spoilers. Apologies for spoilers in the spoiler segment. But um, Lucas is 10, and then he oh, is wow, 13. Okay. So he's like a young teenager. Yeah. So there's a time jump. Yeah. When you get, gotcha. That make, that makes sense. And I'll get like Kumatora feels like a little older, but I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. Either way, Duster's got like a mustache. So whatever's going on with Duster is like a little bit <laughs> far <laughs> beyond. in a basement. <laughs> like, it's yeah. brutal. It, it, and that's the thing though. It's like, there's kind of this like Don Quixote vibe between Wes and Duster where like, they're not impressive in terms of like where they're, you know, it's not like they're Flint where Flint is the deputy of Tasmali village and like walks around and everyone depends on him, but they think they're equally as important and you learn they are <laughs> right. By this point, you don't really know. You're just like, like if you, as you play chapter one, if you had to guess who you're playing as next, you would not guess Duster, you know? <laughs> and, and the fact that you are, I really, I really love that. And, and as their relationship between Wes and Duster continues, like Wes is very hard on his son, but like, we'll talk about more in the later chapters, but I just really loved like how their relationship developed. And the thing about Duster is that he is very good at what he does. That's yeah. what I loved. I love <laughs> that it wasn't a joke. Like he is the reason Flint is able to get to the Mecha Drago with his wall staple technique. And his chapter feels, it's kind of like a palate cleanser from one's drama. Cause like you're in a castle and you're looking for uh, an egg and you meet all these ghosts <laughs> who actually just want to party all these brendan ghosts yeah it, it feels like it feels very much like a, a f- like a fun moment in an rpg you know like the moment in ff6 where sabin suplexes a train <laughs> or the moment in ff7 where like you have to breed a chocobo to cross a river like it has that energy <laughs> to it at the same time you do learn a lot of lore about the world and like the importance of the egg and you also meet kumatora who's an incredibly important character and I, I think second to Duster was my favorite of the of the core party. But yeah, I, I really I in this game, like I think at this point in the game, it was the perfect balance of challenge and narrative. Like after yeah. after chapter two, that's when it starts to get like, oh, my God, what do, what game facts form from 2007 <laughs> do I have to scroll through? You know, this is the last time I felt like equipped to just do it on my own. Yeah, there, this this uh, <laughs> this chapter includes the one moment in the whole game where you have to move an object in the back background to like get to a tunnel <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a classic video game thing you move the bookcase aside and there's a there's like a hole behind it that you can go through and get into a tunnel but this is the only time it happens <laughs> in the whole game they have not once told you that you can do this i mean that's just like that that's just uh, indicative of a lot of what's going on here but uh yeah i mean there's like zombies in this chapter that never show up again there's like yeah there's zombies so that are like, like related to duster they're like duster yeah. you, you've grown and it's like that's never like okay i know i love this game and all but like that shit is never addressed again and it's like how yeah. why does why does duster have zombie uncles what's going on here like, there's so much in this game that like that is set up and then never executed that like every Every playthrough, it lends more to me preferring Earthbound to Mother 3. It's just mm. like there's so much that mm. happens that it's like, I wow, that seems really interesting. I wonder how these, I wonder what this egg is going to do. I wonder how these zombies, maybe Duster and Wes will talk ever again, but it's just, <laughs> May, yeah, Spoil, I, I, spoilers again, but it never <laughs> plays out. I, to me, those moments just kind of play more as like, 
throwaway gags <laughs> than anything else, you know, which like is actually the vibe I was anticipating from this game. You know, like if chapter one serves as a, as like a, a sidestep from the thing you're expecting coming from Earthbound or even just the art style, uh, chapter two kind of like makes good on what you thought you were going to get out of it in a way. <laughs> um, because I mean, this this part of the game is like a literal actual heist of a castle you you like <laughs> indiana jones your way into a castle and steal a big glowing egg of like major import you know uh <laughs> and like meet ghosts and zombies and stuff along the way it's like real silly really <laughs> silly this is where you meet the rope snake too right who like yeah. is maybe yeah. my favorite character in the whole game <laughs> oh it's incredible dude. yeah did y'all fight the this the jar of strawberry jelly yes <laughs> I did not. Yeah, you go into the kitchen and there's just there's like a whole bunch of weird hidden enemies. Like for example, in Flinch chapter, if you go to where Fuel and Lighter's houses, Fuel and Lighter are the people who there's a lot of lot of fucking characters in this game. Fuel and Lighter are the people who you save from the burning house. When you go to their house, there will be like a random ball of soot with a clown nose, and you can fight that and get experience. (laughs) (laughs) Like and similarly in the kitchen in the ghost house where all the ghosts are like listening to jazz piano and drinking wine, you can fight a jar of strawberry jam and it, it fucks you up. Yeah. Like it sprays yeah. jam at you and it'll kill you in three hits. It's really hardcore. I, it has a hundred percent chance of giving you a sprinting bomb, which is nice. I would also wager that like the ghosts here were like the major influence for Nops to Bluke and Undertale. The ghosts that like you first meet in the oh, very yeah. beginning. I mean, e- easily one of my favorite characters in a video game, but yeah, I, I, I loved the vibe of this, <laughs> this whole castle. It was yeah, incredible. It was so fun. And th- this it was, was very fun. This yes. was like the highest point I think for me in the game uh, for the most part and until I think another chapter, which we'll talk about, but uh, I, I just loved like this. This was me realizing because they mentioned early on. Uh, I think it's in chapter one. It might be in chapter two. Literally, somebody literally says to you, like, talk to every single person. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think so, it's a bird, like a sparrow. It might be a sparrow. I think you might be right. Yeah, because early on, the sparrows kind of give you like tips uh, on how to play the yeah. game. Chirp, um, chirp, sparrow advice. Yeah, and I, I, uh, th- this was the moment where it paid off the most. I think was during the the like ghost party. It was like just chatting with all the ghosts <laughs> was so fucking funny all the time. This game is so <laughs> goddamn funny, and it's all like hyper concentrated into this chapter. Uh, <laughs> and I loved it. So the rope, the rope snake, for example, is just like an item you get eventually uh which is like a little red snake that duster just like keeps in his pocket that he uses kind of as like an indiana jones whip to like traverse stuff uh but the the snake has like a kind of uh maybe like a a, a shaky uh self-confidence and like is not always sure that it's going to be able to do its job right and like has a whole character arc it's like uh, an yes. it's an item in the video game that has a whole character arc uh and ends up like there's a moment that reminds me. Um, I'm a Mar- I'm an employee of Marvel Entertainment. Anything I say and do doesn't reflect the views of my employer. Uh, X Y Z thing. Um, <laughs> there it is. Amen. <laughs> but it, it reminds me a lot of uh, of of Bucky as the Winter Soldier when he's like recovering in Wakanda. Like after like he gets his mind back and he's like <laughs> he's like not controlled by uh, Hydra anymore. And he's like, oh man, I have to like learn what it's like to be a real person and also like <laughs> grapple with all the horrible things I've done for a hundred years. There is like that moment for the ropes snake where he's just like hanging out in a house and you talk to him and he's like i can't believe i fucked up this bad i really need to sit and like think about it for a while like come and talk to me later uh i love the um, rope snake i love yeah, the rope snake you, you might know rope the, the rope snake from smash brothers yes. as lucas's throw yeah. <laughs> lucas grabs yeah, or, or the rope one of his snake taunts yeah and like does a little gives a little rope snake a little kiss as a taunt it's very yeah. cute 
But yeah, th- I, I think this ends like, and this also, this, this chapter felt the most Dragon Quest. I mean, the sense that you're exploring this like dungeon and, you know, going through it. There's a boss. Mr. Passion. And Kumatura, Mr. Passion. The first, like, I remember I was complaining Mr. Passion at the time. I'll, I'll take eight <laughs> Mr. Passions any day of the week over the shit we face later in this game. <laughs> I, went, I went back to, come- to Mr. Passion just to get the nice shoes. <laughs> me too. Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> when you two were telling me about how hard Mr. Passion was, I was like, oh man, they're fucked. <laughs> 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 like I was trying as hard as I could to be like, okay, you're going to need to do this and this. Here's a good, fight so- a bean. You're going to find a bean, fight it. <laughs> fight it three times. <laughs> It's the most not it's like I'm telling a like a hickory dickory doc rhyme to you. Like Right, right. <laughs> go into the forest and fight this bean, but it's it's you need it. You've been kind of like our mirror experience. You've been playing Persona 5 uh, Royal <laughs> oh, for the first the, time. Oh man. And I feel like the fifth <laughs> palace boss of Persona 5 is like eight of the chapters here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't even feel good that I won. I'm just so fucking tired. <laughs> I wasted a whole day after on this. my my 19th time fighting the fifth palace boss in Persona 5. I was like, I was telling Steven actually literally today as Steven was wrapping up this game, like, this is how I feel about most, like, I love Persona 5 Royal a lot, but this oh, is yeah. how I feel about so much of it. Like, I was telling Steven, if you work at the beef bowl shop three times, there'll be this uh, chubby looking dude, and he's he wants to be president, and you gotta hang out with him twice to be able to, and I'm like, oh yeah, the sun arcana, yeah, <laughs> it's man. Like, okay, was there, was anyone gonna give me a call and be like, hang out with that guy, or do I just gotta figure that out myself? <laughs> yeah, and, and the funny thing too is, kind of like Earthbound is harder than Mother 3. Like, Persona 5 is easily the most streamlined <laughs> of the series. Persona 3 is like, good luck. You're in school now. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Persona Satan's 4, like, the first, the, the first screen that shows up in Persona 4 is, please go to gamefacts.com slash guides slash persona hyphen 4. You're going to find a walkthrough that w- the title of it was made with hyphens and dashes to look like the logo. <laughs> yep. Follow like, it. It's great. You're going to have a great time looking through that one. It's required reading. In Earthbound, there's a boss that has a first form that's, like, really fucking hard, and then you kill that... And it has a second form that just randomly kills you. And it's like, okay. That's a lot like another boss in this game that we'll talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to the present. Um, Mr. Passion. Does Does Kumatora join your party or no? Not yet. Uh, Yes, Kumatora joins your party in chapter two. And so does Wes, actually. They're like little side party members that will do things in the background like... Ionia let out a little scream or Alec told you to calm down. (laughs) Right, right. They'll do little things like that. You learn so basically you do this whole heist and the thing that that Duster brings back is not because Wes gave you instructions like you'll know if you're a master thief you'll know what it is. (laughs) And you Uh. get the thing and he's like you're an idiot. This isn't the thing. Uh, (laughs) This game. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you go back and uh, Kumatora, Wes refers to Kumatora as princess. Uh, uh, pin in that and princess kumatora and duster and wes go to this wall where wes is like don't look and he has to do this very complicated dance <laughs> that i actually adore it comes it's, up so often and it's great it's incredible time. yeah it's fun fact it is the hot spring theme sped up oh that's oh, no great. way yeah that's another thing i and again not to constantly bring up undertale but i think one of the other influences i saw was like using a theme multiple times in different ways in the soundtrack you know like yeah anyway we'll get to that later but west does this like maybe 10 minute long dance <laughs> to open the door 
and then you get the egg, which is like basically like it's told like if, if this falls into the wrong hands, it's, it's a bad thing. And and at this point in the game, we're starting to see the pig mass show up, which I agree, Brendan. I think that like the game focuses a little bit too much on like the esoteric and less of the personal in the middle. But I do have something I, 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 I found very powerful about like the pig mask showing up in general. But anyway, I think the chapter ends with like the three of you like getting in like a waterfall and, and Duster loses the it kind of feels like I don't know if you, either of you play Final Fantasy six, but there's a moment where your whole party is on a raft and there's an octopus named Ultros who like is the like Tenardier of Final Fantasy six. Les Mis reference uh, for those who know what I'm talking about. He's like a benign villain, basically. And he shows up and he like he like hits your wrath and the whole party is divided so like for the middle portion of that game you choose which perspective you want to play through kind of like this game but you have a choice of like which one you do first and i think chapter two ends with like that happening to duster kumatora and wes right yeah, yeah. yeah. and duster's um, gone like duster straight up disappears at the end of chapter two. right yeah uh and and if you talk to people in the town uh after that you'll hear some stuff about like yeah duster just went missing yeah <laughs> so I haven't seen since. Um, I do also want to mention uh, chapter two is the first time you see the clay men. Yes. Who are like kind of uh, synthetic robots uh, that, that uh, attack you uh, on, on behalf of the pig men, which uh, look a little bit like star men, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, maybe that'll they come do. back later. I, I just want to say real quick as we're t- while we're talking about clay men, I don't know when this happens. So I'm just going to say it now. There's a point where like you can kind of go anywhere. There are a few chapters where you can kind of go anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit looser. And I went back to the Clayman factory and there's like near automata shit happening in that place. Like really at a certain point in the game. Yeah. It was really creepy. <laughs> so I recommend like if, if you can visit, check that place out later in the game. They were like, there was very ominous music playing and they were all looking at like one big pile of clay. It was really weird. <laughs> I've never cool. seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> so I... <laughs> It was one of the stand-up moments for me. So like, that's the cool thing about this game is you can just like, if you're curious, check out a place and it will probably be up to something weird. Yeah. Uh, the Clayman Factory sure was once they stopped working there. <laughs> we'll talk about this later, but there's a chapter where you like work part-time at that factory and they like zap Clayman who are too tired to like keep working. And it seems like once everyone is left, there's like a void for religion in the Clayman Factory that like is occupied once they have gone. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, it's it's very become as gods. I'll say that much. That's really good. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, should we should we move on to chapter three? Uh, there's something I want to highlight uh, before we move on to chapter three, which Please. is that chapter two is the first time that money is introduced to the characters. Oh shit! Yeah, that is in that oh chapter. That's like really huge. Yes, that's and a not huge... only that, but um, the characters start turn like the town starts turning on each other right like very slightly in chapter one it's like alluded to that like there's someone like the pig mask army is like messing with the animals you know and you actually you find a letter that's like the animals are boring make them cool you know mix them up and then you start fighting like weird hybrids of animals but then eventually it starts happening to the people which i found i found that to be the most disturbing and compelling part of the story of like how the pig mask army affects the people we'll get to that later but yeah when when facade shows up who's like 
one of the he's like i guess the secondary villain but he's the most present villain for yeah. most of the game yeah he brings a big sack of money like i don't know we'll use this as a doorstop we don't use money here you know so it's like i found it very interesting that they they are introduced to the concept of sadness right before money uh and we'll we'll get to that <laughs> i think in the next chapter I, uh, chapter four i think most notably um, i have a lot but, to say about chapter four yes like, all yes <laughs> that that's that's like that's a that's a standout moment of the game i think yes but anyway chapter three in the meantime you play chapter as a monkey you're a, you're a monkey <laughs> you're a monkey you're a monkey named salsa you gotta he's, hey, they took his girlfriend his girlfriend's named samba he's named salsa salsa and samba facade takes salsa and samba separates them then you go through the sahara desert and that's the chapter no there's more cool so in chapter four <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so I, I did a bit of reading of like, I just Googled like what people, which chapter were people's favorites just out of curiosity mm. after I finished and everyone dunked on chapter three. What? I really love yeah, chapter it's three. It's nonsense. Yeah, people I, hate salsa and this, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, so so here's the deal. Here's what's happening in chapter three. You play as a monkey named Salsa who is kind of like enslaved by the pig army uh, to work for Facade. Facade has like a shock collar on him that he uses way too often. Uh, it's really, and that's another thing, you know, this the animal abuse present here is like, it's really Nintendo's upsetting. not going to be like, yeah, in 2021, let's do that. Let's <laughs> release that to the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's not like graphic. Like it's very like Bugs Bunny in presentation, but it's still like, it's harrowing. Um, yeah. So you play as Salsa, who's like kind of has to work for Facade and Facade is like basically most of the chapter is like you have to help him bring happy boxes to the townspeople of Tasmali. The happy boxes are conveniently in the graveyard. So, you know, positive omen there. <laughs> you pick up these these TVs from the graveyard and deliver them. I think you meant you texted our uh, group chat. Well, like this is the only Death Stranding I want to play. And it was Salsa carrying a happy box. It is like it um, just like cuts his speed in half. You have to drag this giant box like you're actually Norman Reedus. Yeah, and Facade is like, if you do it within this time, I'll give you a banana. Otherwise, I'm going to shock you. He shocks you no matter what, I think. <laughs> yeah, he does. Because uh, I went as fast as I could. <laughs> I also did. Um, yeah. The fun thing is, that's the moment when you can run around the town and talk to everyone as Salsa and see how they interact with him. Some people are like really yeah. nice to him. Some people are like, get out of here, you stupid monkey. And it's <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and like you said, it's like the turn in the town of like being a less welcoming place. But um, what's interesting is that you do get in battles and you have to rely. It's the only like background party member that you have to rely on. Like Facade does all the damage. Yeah. But but Salsa keeps leveling up and keeps getting better and has abilities that like will just echo whatever the uh, enemy does. Like he'll literally ape what they're doing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what's going to happen is eventually Salsa is going to be strong enough to like get rid of Facade, right? Not really. But basically, like you're you're constantly like trying to appease Facade and and escape his grasp as he's like slowly corrupting this town with happy boxes and the concept of money. He gives a speech in the town square like, "Aren't your lives empty? Don't you need something else? Stuff like that, you know?" Yeah, big like snake oil salesman vibes. Yes. And you literally watch people like walk away and yeah. like say like, "I don't. This yeah. is baloney. Like I don't only need like this. maybe like less than half the crowd are into yeah. it, and you have to dance as salsa while." He, and it's like a really harrowing moment but one of the moments in the game i yelled out loud yes was in the finale yes. where like you run into uh kumatora and duster i believe that's wes oh it's wes yeah and they like 
kind of see they like connect to us like okay this this monkey does not want to be doing this like we should help him out so they, they knock on your door one night in the hotel and you try to escape and of course facade catches on yeah and then finally goku's charged up he's back <laughs> he's here <laughs> lucas shows up and whistles and a bunch of dragos show up and just chew facade and throw him off screen <laughs> and it's like it is so gratifying it's so cathartic. And it really it's like the yeah. most cathartic moment in any game I've ever played. Because I think if this game just let you play as Lucas right away, you'd be like, why am I playing as Lucas? He's just like a sad little boy, you know? Yeah. But like the fact that the control to Lucas goes to him when he's at his like comeback moment, he's like, I'm, I'm done crying. I'm going to actually try to make a positive change in this environment. And he does so by like literally utilizing the pre-corrupted form of the animal that killed his mother. Oh my God. Like what an incredible yeah. moment. For it's real. so, it is so applause worthy. <laughs> I, I threw bouquets at the game as this happened. It's so good. I have a lot of feelings about that specific part because I think like, regardless of what you'll say about the later game, really early on between Klaus, Lucas and Flint, the game nails like, these different aspects of what grief can do to a person. Mm, like, yes. Grief can make someone completely lose themselves and like rage like Klaus yes. did. Uh, we didn't mention, but at the end of chapter one, Klaus disappears and it's unbeknown to any of the characters, but you see his body at the bottom of the mountain. And it's like a yeah. really like in the, the end credits of the chapter scroll over that. And it's like really harrowing. Yeah. Cause I, re I remember thinking in the, I like literally in the moment of that chapter, I remember thinking to myself like nobody, no death. Klaus is still alive, baby. And then the camera panned over. I was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like literally a dead child at the bottom of a mountain. It's like yeah. brutal. Um, and Flint, like put that in, put that in another uh, another cons list for Nintendo releasing that game ever. <laughs> hey gamers, brilliant pearls coming out, and don't forget to check out Mother Three a few weeks after. We got a dead nine year old at the bottom of a cliff hey, in this hey, one. Kid, oh do you like death? Yeah. So, um, but and then Flint becomes like fully fixated on like trying Revenge. to find his son who is gone. Right. And Lucas grows. Like Lucas develops and like overcomes his like constant sadness and fear because of this grief that he experienced. He's also, really I think it's important to point out that he's the only one of the three men in that family who are able to confront his emotions and like actually let them happen. Yeah. You know, because like Flint reverts to, you know, he knows how to hit stuff and he tries to do that. <laughs> uh, Klaus just runs in a direction and to his demise. And Lucas like grows through the adversity and becomes the hero of the story. Alongside many other, they they prop Lucas up as the hero, but it's really the four of them. Yeah, you know, Duster, Kimitora, and, and Boney, who I adore. There's always it's always there's always room for a dog in an <laughs> RPG. Just like why not? And I, the stuff I, they do with Boney the dog. I mean, well, we're about to hit chapter four, so we can talk about that. But <laughs> Boney is like MVP of this. I could not believe how well they used this fucking dog. I thought this was going to be like a goof. I thought it was like Boney's going to join your party for a while, and then we'll be replaced with a real human person eventually. That's what happens in Earthbound. Yeah. yeah. Your, your dog's like, I'm too scared. And Bonnie's like, and I'm Bales, in. yeah. Yeah. I think this was a like for all the fans who like saw King join your party for like one second and were like, God, what? No, no, I want the dog. And then <laughs> Itoy was like, you want a dog? Here's a dog. <laughs> and he's the best dog. He's he's easily one of he's the a best good boy. dogs. Dog that can use PK Sarstorm, apparently. <laughs> Per Super Smash Brothers Ultimate for the Nintendo Switch, but yeah. Um, Wait, so are we are we done with Chapter Three? I think yeah. we can move on to Chapter Four, unless you two have anything to say to Chapter Three. Uh, no, I'm I'm itching. Yeah, I think I'm good. I think I'm good on Chapter Three. 
How about we uh, how about we move on then to chapter four? That Absolutely. sounds good. Chapter four. Do you do you mind me introducing? Oh, I would love if you did. Do the show. Set set the red carpet. (laughs) Do the show. We're both tired. Welcome back to into the club titty boo. Um, (laughs) What an awful name for a club. It's not great. (laughs) We're in club titty boo, boys. That is the name of the chapter. I'm not doing a weird bit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it opens and time has jumped. We've jumped three years into the future and the game. Tasmania Village has become essentially become Onet. Yes, it's, yeah. just earth, it's just Earthbound now. <laughs> yeah, it becomes Earthbound. There are cars driving around, with little frogs in them, little save frogs in cars. Um, yes, facade is doing a squealer bit in the middle of town. Like there are pig masks living among everyone. It's there's money. People, you have to pay for things now. You go into Thomas's people Bazaar. People have, have bought into the Reagan era capitalism <laughs> vibe here i think what's so fascinating about this opening is that like like you said it's on it and in, in earthbound when you go to on it it's like fun and cheery you, you don't think twice about it but the fact that you knew what tasmily was seeing it this way is incredibly disturbing despite Dude, like how upbeat it is it's incredibly weird and scary to see it transform this way this on this is the high point of the whole game for me was yeah, oh, was I the agree. opening of chapter four i was so fucking horrified seeing the village look like this it was the most disturbing shit i i like couldn't believe how effective it was to just show me a regular ass rpg town as if it was like a big third act horror reveal in a movie uh yeah. <laughs> right. just like as soon as soon as in chapter what two i guess it is uh when when money is introduced to the town i was like this is not good it was like there's yeah this is gonna have some like horrible repercussions i did not know there's a time jump coming but as soon as i saw like this is three years later it was like this town is fucked and then i walked out and i saw it with my own eyes so even like seeing the frog in the car like which is like silly in itself <laughs> but like just seeing a car at all was like a bridge too far for me yeah. it's like this town has been completely corrupted it was really really frightening i also think one of the things that becomes very apparent because this was still at the point where like i wasn't like gunning through the game but i was still like really really taking my time i was talking to every single villager pretty much every opportunity you learn pretty early on as well that uh, lucas and flint don't have a happy box in their house and the first time you walk outside there's like a big like lightning strike uh that kind of looks a little bit adjacent to the meteor strike from earthbound in a way uh outside of ness's house you have this like big lightning strike crater right outside your house and you start to make your way around town and if you just do some exploring you'll find a bunch of other places that have also been hit by lightning and it's yeah. either like directly on the house and destroying it or like right next yeah. to the house um there's no in between there it's one or the other and it's clear that like if lightning struck your house it's not the first time lightning has struck near your house essentially uh and it becomes very clear very quickly that like definitely facade and the pig mask army are behind the lightning and yes they are wiping out people who are not buying into their happy box thing and there's also the moment when you start walking into people's houses and you see the happy boxes are literally just <laughs> televisions um yeah i have i have some theories about like what the televisions are displaying but it doesn't seem to be explained unless i'm wrong will do they ever like explicitly say what is on the happy boxes no they don't um but it always felt to me like it was just a screen that kind of numbs you like a screen that's just like showing like pretty colors yeah. so you don't have to think when you're looking at it so my thought 
and and maybe this is i don't know we're 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 in the spoiler section technically and i'm sorry that i'm going to spoil something that happens way later in the game but it's literally a level in super smash brothers so sorry uh but i have a sneaking suspicion that it's showing images of new pork city specifically like this is your inspiration this is what a town or a village or a city is supposed to look like which kind of causes this industrialization of tasmily um and and causes everybody to build up but eventually kind of numbs their brain to the point where they think that their own village isn't enough for them and then towards the end of the game they all move there that was kind of my read on what happy boxes are um it's just like here's a cool place that you can live eventually maybe (laughs) one day you could try and build it for yourself but it'll never be the same as the incredible thing you're seeing on this happy box that is a Um, very good read um i never thought of that before i think it also goes back to what we were saying about dealing with grief you know in in terms of chapter one ending saying like the townspeople understood sadness for the first time yes they suddenly need things that are not actual needs you know they need things to go faster and be bigger and and they're ignoring the underlying issue of like you know what lucas went through on his own in his lightning struck house uh, while his dad just visits a grave all day like he he has lost his family unit and his home but he has dealt with the grief like on on a head-to-head level and has come out stronger whereas everyone else is trying to distract themselves with these things yeah what i found i think this is something that the three of us kind of wanted to talk about but like in addition to just the sudden kind of streak of capitalism that is like the lightning struck this town uh, that didn't even know what money was they're going to use it as a doorstop the last chapter to the south of the town there's a pig mask recruiting like like military complex yeah and and there are people that are joining the pig mask army that like in the first chapter it seemed like the villagers knew that the pig masks were like corrupting the animals in the forest and like up to no good and suddenly they're okay and i think that is what is so effective about this game is like it is so clear to the player and to lucas and to duster and wes and and all the allies of of the four party members that like something wrong that's a good word to choose (laughs) i'm sorry all the allied allies is a perfect word to choose Right. But I mean, yes, in many ways, but like every, everyone who's, who's, you know, related to the heroes are like, there's something wrong happening. And everyone else is like, yeah, it pays the, like, everyone else is like, it's not this moment that like, you know, I, I think that like when there are these terrible moments in history, even in games where like an evil empire invades, it's usually thought of or portrayed in a way that is like larger than life. I think what's so effective and what's so eerily, I think, reminiscent of what has happened in our own country recently is like suddenly seeing people you knew and thought knew better being like, yeah, I'll be a pig mask, you know, like I'll, I'll put on the pig mask and work for someone who is burning down houses because they don't have a happy box because it will get me ahead or maybe I'm not even thinking that far ahead. I'm just doing it. And that, that I found incredibly disturbing and like, and, and, uh, relatable, unfortunately. I I think one of the big things about this moment, uh, and, and the reason that it, it struck such a huge chord with me specifically is you just kind of alluded to this a little bit, but in a lot of games that try and do kind of a similar thing, when the evil person reveals themselves in any capacity, it's usually kind of, there's, there's an immediacy there, right? There's like an immediacy of like, holy shit, this, evil person has shown up and like obviously they're the bad guy because they're doing bad guy shit what's really interesting about this game is that it does that for the player but for no one in the world even though they all witness the same things 
Right, but there's a there's a gradient. There's three years that has passed between the last moment you played and now. There's been a gradient of time that's passed, and the happy boxes and facade and 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 the pig masks have had this influence over Tasmali that we are not privy to, but we obviously know is bad. Like we obviously know that it's a nefarious thing. But for the people who have been living that day to day, they have kind of just watched their world fade into whatever uh, facade and and the powers that be kind of want it to become uh, and are now, I mean, in a place where it seems like they're accepting of it and maybe even want to become part of it because it happened so slowly that they didn't realize it was happening. Whereas for us, we just wake up to it one day. We just wake up to it immediately and are like, holy shit. This is awful. And the people who are re- who are resisting it are getting struck by <laughs> Not, lightning. <laughs> I think what I found almost the most demoralizing, like it's obviously like tragic to see like Lucas's home and Reggie's home struck by lightning. But then you go to the master thief hideout where where Wes and Duster lived and it's like a retirement home that's like falling apart. Yeah. It's almost more cruel to not strike that place with lightning because like the ceiling is leaking, it's like molding and everyone there is kind of being ignored or forgotten. And it's like, these are the people that like that incited this adventure. Like Alec and Wes are these characters that were basically like our owl in Ocarina of Time being like, did you get what I said? Here's how to save. Yeah. You know, and to see them reduced to to like living in this un and they have happy boxes so that's that's the really disturbing thing is like this house is falling apart it is not enjoying in the same splendor as the rest of the village but they do have happy boxes so they can they can get by right. but they are still dying and it's just it's a lot it's really harrowing playing this game like not not to get too real or political or anything this game came out in 2006 and yeah. watching the way that like fascism has like very gradually embedded itself in the American way of thinking over the past 20 years, like yeah. playing this game where like, hey, these army soldiers who blew up your forest and killed your wife and remodeled literally every living creature in your forest for shits and giggles are now your pals and like the local police force and like talking in your town circle and selling you televisions. And it's, I don't know, it was playing it now was actually like actually a little terrifying. Like it was very like Kojima-esque. Like I was just about to say this game predicted like, yeah, the situation we're in now in America. It, it's also unfortunately happened before in other places of in course. the world too. You know I mean? Like this is unfortunately, I think how it, it, this weirdly as cartoony as this game is, I think this is like the most accurate portrayal of how fascist just seeps into a place yeah that's not like like sudden it's very gradual and slow and they become your friends and you become them right like uh, there's a little bit of a spoiler but like way later in the game you like so this is character isaac who's like throughout the game he's like giving you antidotes he's helping you out and over the course of the game you watch him slowly become enamored with the pig mask lifestyle yeah and by the end of the game he is a pig mask like he has the uniform and he says if you do anything to upset our leader i'm gonna like i'm gonna fight you and it's yeah really harrowing i just think back to so many points in my life like not too long ago like in college or wherever and and again i'm not trying to put myself on any kind of pedestal or anything but i feel like i had these friends of mine or or new people in my life that like, you know, were like Isaac, where they like idolized certain things or said certain things or, or behaved a certain way. And I was, oh, but they mean well. Like deep down they're they're nice people. And then it's like, maybe not, man. Like maybe <laughs> yeah. they're a big mask waiting to happen. And it's heartbreaking when it happens, but like it's kind of it reminds me of like how clear the warning was and how 
even the three of us could could be like a Tasmali villager ignoring the signs, you know, or embracing them like Butch or embracing did. <laughs> them unconsciously, right? Uh, or or be like Bronson who's just tanning on the beach all day, you know, like <laughs> right. He, and honest, just, honest, that's actually a really good point to bring up because this is this is kind of one of the things that I I go back and forth on with this game, um, and like in my own life is like okay, the people <laughs> the people who I know who have gone down that path in real life, like how much of an onus is there on me to try and bring them back? Or like, are they so far gone down a rabbit hole of just like hate and misogyny and nightmare ideals that like, I, I, I can't do anything, you know, like I just have to hope that they figure that figure it out for themselves. And I have to live my own life. And I think that this game seems to imply that like you could be Bronson tanning on the beach or you could be Lucas and, and co. And like, you could try and do your best to bring, bring some sense of normalcy back, I guess, or like a new normalcy. Um, you know, in, in the wake of that. And and it just feels to me so much, at least, you know, in, in the realm of, of the United States, like kind of the period we're in right now is like, OK, what do you what do you do after four years of literal actual fascism? You know, like what? Yeah. How do you how do you respond to that? You know, it's not as easy as you just like elect a different person, obviously. Like <laughs> right, there's so right. much more involved there. You um, can't just tan on the beach. <laughs> right. You can't right. just you yes, can't just tan exactly. on the beach the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, it is is kind of where I. I, I wonder like how much of this game is actually going into that because like the, the thing that should be stated is like this happened in Japan in World War II as well you yes. know like Japan had this exact same turn this game is is was developed and released in Japan <laughs> like it is it is a commentary on a thing that happened a long time ago potentially um, and is simultaneously a commentary on how the response went right it's like you know we lean into technology and modernization and like kind of numbing our ourselves to like our past misgivings and misdeeds uh what's wild i think is that the the three years of of story that don't happen here are actually a commentary on what's happening currently in the united states which like just like playing death stranding right now is like a really horrifying thing to be experiencing (laughs) and it's it's why the even we haven't even talked about what happens in chapter four we've only talked about what like (laughs) the setting (laughs) the literal opening yes Um, and Um, one thing i uh that we haven't mentioned yet is the fact that the music that plays over Tasmania yeah, Village man. every time you're walking around is the music that plays immediately after you leave Hinawa's funeral yep in chapter one like the right and, and that cements this theme of like yeah. they have not they have not dealt with their grief or tragedy that struck the town um which I think like is more concretely explained later but I think just like works so well even metaphorically in the moment yeah well all it's like all these people it's it's like when you have the opportunity as a fascist to take advantage of weakness, like when they sell the happy boxes to everyone, they understand that they're taking advantage of the weakness of the town that they established. Yes, yes. And when they numb people to yeah. what they should be feeling, which is rage and anger and grief, then it's easier for them to like slowly seep in, as you said, to the town's lifestyle and like embed themselves yeah. into the way they live. It's like, like again, extremely political and hardcore, but like 
taking advantage of 9-11 as an ex- like an excuse no, to... I, I think that's a, that's, I don't want to say it's a great parallel. It's obviously a national tragedy, but I think you're right. It's like there's a national sense of grief that is directly manipulated to engage in a uh, irrational war that yeah. has never ended. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, there's a direct parallel there, I think. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it speaks to what we do post COVID, right? We're all getting vaccinated. Like what happens next? You know, is there going to be some nightmare shit that's going to happen, you know, in response to COVID hitting or are we going to like invest more money in, you know, medical preparedness? Like <laughs> those are our two options. And, and I'm nervous that the, the latter isn't going to be where we go. But uh, these are all the questions that mother three raises <laughs> as soon as you begin chapter four. And that's, and that's, and that's what I mean in terms of the album association is like just that opening brought up all those feelings we just discussed. Yeah. It happens in just that like camera pan of like how Tasmalee is now. And it's like, Oh my God. And, and I think the most disturbing thing is, again, we wouldn't even notice it if it wasn't what happened before. The same way we don't notice on it is like kind of like that, even though it's in a more positive light. Yeah, it's a little bit of why the game starts to bum me out as well um, in, in ways that it doesn't intend to. I should be clear uh, <laughs> is like you have that opening and it's so powerful and like it lands so spectacularly and like has obviously aged very well um, and has become even more prescient over time. But you know, the rest of the chapter is like, Oh, you, you're running on a highway. You're running along the train tracks. <laughs> you fight some weird yeah, bony dresses up as a fucking kid. Yeah, and goes actually, into a club. There's an elephant with an ostrich head. <laughs> I so I I would push back against that a little bit. I definitely I, I mean this is actually this chapter is the first time I sent Will an angry message where I was like cuz you talk to a villager and they say Flint has been just you know, visiting uh, Hinoa's grave in the mountains, like nonstop. Yeah. I wonder what he's up to. I took that as a sign that I should go to the mountains in chapter four. And if you go there, like the enemies are way overpowered. So, okay. I guess I got to grind. Thing. And then I grinded and then I got to the mountains and there was nothing there. And I was, I wasn't like, Oh cool. I'm higher level. I was just angry. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I, I suddenly had to deal, you know, with, with just time lost. And, uh, <laughs> then I looked up what I was supposed to do as it was to just talk to a train conductor i'm like what the fuck yeah like, how would i <laughs> and that's like the beginning just like tasmally becomes this capitalist nightmare the game also becomes this game facts <laughs> forum nightmare where you, have you to- were supposed to work at the beef bowl shop yeah. steven um but i do think like what follows so you have to run along the train i should preface by you hear rumors that duster is still alive but he's yeah. playing bass at club titaboo awful name but here we are <laughs> uh he's playing basic club titibu and uh the only way to get there is by train the train is likely too expensive to take it's 2000 dp which is the new currency yeah dragon points yeah dragon <laughs> points uh so you have to walk along the tracks you run along the tracks and then you get to a factory where everyone just works electrocuting clay men to do the work for them. And they seemingly get paid and just like tickets to go to club Titaboo. Yeah. So this is also like this drilled the point of the opening where like now that there's currency, everyone just works a job they hate because they can go to this place. that's just like pure vice. Yeah. You know, like the the two bodyguards are named Neckbeard and Skinhead, <laughs> yep. uh, who who guard Club Tidibu. Uh, although honestly, like Boney dressing up as a person to get in was like incredible. I love that moment so much. He stays dressed up as a person for a long time. Yeah, 
but at the same time, even though it's like as as dystopian as the game can get at this point in time, the band that plays is incredible. And you see Duster, he has been rebranded as Lucky, yeah. who plays bass with DCMC. Just like, maybe my favorite band of all time. I could not <laughs> get enough of DCMC. And the game knows it. Yeah. And the game gives you equipment that is like useful against DCMC fans. Because um, <laughs> like the people in the world just love this band so much. And I think it's actually, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Kentucky Route Zero, where that's a game that also deals with like, how does capitalism affect the setting, but there are like pockets of hope and usually it involves some type of expression in Kentucky Route zero. The, the music is often not being presented directly. It is in the June bug scene, right? But usually it's almost like, it's like the band playing the soundtrack of the scene. But in mother three, they're like, no, there's a band playing in the world of the game and they rule. <laughs> and they're like the one shred of hope for humanity. Weirdly enough. Are they Steven? <laughs> Well, do you know where I'm coming from? <laughs> uh, I actually don't. I, no. I actually don't either. What What do you mean? Yeah, they're play. The, the, don't they play a version of the pig mask song? So you, they, you didn't beat the game. They they come back in a way that is incredible. <laughs> oh, okay. They are playing Porky's theme, but I think like in terms of like it, okay, so in that moment, the music is a little bit dystopian because they're they're playing like the theme song of the dictator of the world. That was the thing. Yes. I in that moment, I was like, this is propaganda. They're, they <laughs> they have they've created a currency for these people to work for. They've created an in-game currency for real life for these people to accumulate so they can spend it on propaganda, which, which like I thought was horrifying. <laughs> it's like Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, yeah, there's literally there's there's literally a scene after the point in which you stop playing where the band members go like, we know what Porky's up to. We're going to help you fight him. Wow. Uh, and they do. Uh, and it's incredible. But in this moment, I think you're right. I think it is like propaganda. But at the same time, backstage, the, the relationships that Duster has with the bandmates is, is more akin to the relationships you've seen before the town changed. I think there's, there's something about the use of music that like, kind of brings some form of humanity back to certain characters. Maybe that maybe that's a leap on my part, but in in the in the broad scope of the game that's how I saw DCMC personally. To your point, Brendan, um like like Steven and I were saying, the band literally acknowledges what you just said, like the fact that it was propaganda yeah. and like um issues that like completely like goes against like decries their propaganda as a band and like goes against what they were doing in the past. I also real quick just wanted to highlight a couple things. Like, for example, what DCMC stands for, which is Desperado Crush Mambo Combo. Whoa. <laughs> Not Def Cab more cutie. <laughs> <laughs> the band members' names are Baccio, Shimmy Zmiz, Magic, Lucky, and the fifth one, whose name I forgot. Wow. That adds up. But yeah, I mean, I think like in the scene, um, the the more heartfelt moment is like when when you try to remind Duster who he was. He thinks he's lucky and he's like happy just to play in a band that plays propaganda, as you said, Brendan. And then you convince him to to rejoin your party and the band like without a crowd plays him like a farewell song about how much their friendship means to them. Mm. And like that that is, I think, more the moment I was referring to in terms of like there is like humanity and and a more meaningful and personal expression is back in the face of this newfound capitalism and fascism. Nice. 
<laughs> Sick. No, it's. It, I think it. That um. I playing this game again. Uh, that moment specifically when Duster puts down his afro that he wears. Yeah. Um, like in front of the club and like leaves and the band's like b- bids a tearful goodbye to him was really powerful. To yeah, me. that yeah. was one of my favorite moments in the game. Honestly, me I really, too. I really love that moment. I big fan. This is also when you reunite with Kumatora, uh, who has yeah. been working at yeah. the club to like secretly keep an eye on on Duster as well, uh, which which is kind of a cool little thing. This is also where you fight the upright base, the 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 <laughs> the jealous, oh, the jealous base, base, the jealous oh my base. God. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, I think, the first big, like, bummer boss fight that I was stuck on for three days. Um, (laughs) I was so... Because for not just you, Brendan, but a lot of people, the Jello space is, like, the fuck this point for, like, a lot of people in this game. And I was really worried. So, like, um, way... like. At the beginning of this game, I was telling both of the both Steven and Brendan like g- the, in the woods there's going to be a bean and you have to fight it. Like you have to. Is this <laughs> our ode to the black bean link cuz I would love to talk at length about the black bean link. Let's get into it. <laughs> so the black bean link is an enemy that has I something like a 5 1 to 5% spawn chance and you have to run back and forth between areas to get at the spawn and when you try and fight it at a low level, it absolutely kicks your ass. Yeah. Like it does one PK fire like beta or something and just blows you out of the water and there's nothing you can do. And you have to like figure out ways to cheese this battle. And it drops, I believe, 16,000 experience every time you beat it. Yeah. Steven, did you fight the Black Beanling? I did. I fought two. You fought only two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I spent yeah. a whole week fighting the black beanling every morning <laughs> until i was i got a cup of joe i get a few beanling rounds in and I start the day. my guy that is literally what i did i woke up brewed some tea and went at it uh and and I was vastly over leveled as as both of you like kept reassuring me was like you are way (laughs) higher level than you need to be for the stuff you're going up against because I was doing so poorly specifically the the jealous base was like a wake up call for me was like I haven't been spending enough time like engaging in battles and leveling up and stuff like that. Um, I I thought personally that the reason I had done so poorly was because I, I was under leveled, not realizing that I just like hadn't really learned the mechanics well enough to like make it through that fight. I also think it gets into one of the more frustrating moments or one of the more frustrating things about this game, which is like kind of an antiquated uh, level design style of like there's a save point, but it's like, you know, between uh, 58 different enemies and then the boss <laughs> you're supposed to fight. And there's like really yes. no way to deal with that. Yeah. And, and and the thing, too, about that is like this game has the you know the enemies are on the map. So you think you can run away from them, but you really can't. Like <laughs> there's fast. little to no room. <laughs> So it's like you might as well just have random encounters because I can't actually avoid these encounters. I agree. In in the same way as like Dragon Quest XI or something. Yeah. So essentially your two options are you either level up to the point where when you sprint, you knock the enemies over so you're not fighting any of them on the way or you just take them all on on your way to the boss. Stop right before you fight the boss. Heal up. Do what you can. Make sure you have enough items and then make your way through. But also items in this game, I find, are so expensive that like that's also not really a viable option. So I've constantly found myself stuck between like 
how am I actually going to do this? And every <laughs> yeah. single time I did, every single time I bumped up against a boss like the like the jealous base, I, I just like felt helpless and, and not in a way that like became fun by the time I was done, but in more of like a relief, like I can continue going. But the jealous base was the first moment for me where like if we were not doing a bonus episode for this, I would have put the game down for sure. Wow. Absol- one billion percent. I would have stopped playing right there <laughs> because I it, it wasn't fun at all and yeah, I, I was yeah. curious enough in what was coming next that i i maybe would have pushed through but we have we decided on this bonus episode like two months ago like we we <laughs> we plan on doing this like will even a month before we had planned on asking you to join it we were like sure that mother three was going to be the episode for for uh for march and even in that time i was like I might have to ask Steven if we could do a different game at a certain point because the jealous base like really <laughs> fucked me up. Three three days <laughs> of fighting the jealous base. Um, so right after that, you know, you get through the chapter. We could talk more about what happens in that chapter if we want to. But like the next time you're given free reign to go around and do what you want, I, I immediately will took you up on your advice of like going and finding where the black bean link spawns in the woods and just grind it against that thing for like a whole ass week until I was way over level for everything else, which only made the game slightly easier. And that's the thing that infuriates me the most is like I was a full 10 to 15 levels above where you're supposed to be. And I still was losing constantly. Uh, and and I don't really know what to say about that, like from a from like a game design and level design standpoint, like it still was very frustrating to me. Y'all want to hear some shit. Um, OK, yeah. There's like a code that you can type in at the like when they ask you for your name, there's a code you can type in to activate very hard mode. Like there's a hard <laughs> mode in this game, like a secret hard oh, yeah. mode that will like utterly brutalize you. And if you don't um, undo it by the time you get to the second chance the game gives you to put in your name, which is at the Clayman factory, you're just stuck with yeah. it for the rest of the game. Oh I've never God. done it myself, but now now knowing how like hard this game is for the person who hasn't played it 19 times already, like I wonder what it's like. Yeah, you can you can feel what I felt. <laughs> Will. yeah, I really <laughs> it's, it's a little uh, watching y'all play through it. I realized that like my experience is a little unfair because not only did I have I played the game like six times already, but I also had like a bunch of let's plays and guides to like help me know like I had to know about the black beanling. I had to look at like a let's play or a guide. Yeah. Like to know like what I need, like what this person's weak to or whatever. As I do, I had to look at guides. And also, um, I don't I, I even I got my ass kicked several times in this game. The black beanling, the first like four times I tried to fight it, just utterly brutalized me in one hit. Uh, yeah. There were a couple bosses that just took me out entirely. So I, I get it is what I'm saying. Like, don't you don't have to worry about me being like, a, oh, you you just need to get good. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna pull that here. Lady like, Butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I wasn't worried about that coming from you, but I do want to be completely clear that I saw that a lot on the internet. Like if I if I looked up threads on you know old message boards about certain bosses that I was like bumping up against, a lot of instances were like you just got to get better at the game, and like <laughs> that was the most frustrating <laughs> shit, man. Are you telling me that uh, 2008 to 2014 message boards are incredibly toxic? <laughs> 
<laughs> um, uh, but yeah, if y'all had a really hard time with this game, you're going to really need to batten down the hatches if you're going to play through Earthbound. <laughs> At least I don't, can throw don't like challenge cheats me, on. Will. I'll do it. I'll do it, man. You don't know me. There are I'm fucking waiting. Game Shark codes for Earthbound. There are not for Mother sure. 3. And I will use them for Earthbound so I can see what the end of that game looks like. <laughs> I feel like no I do want to finish Earthbound one day. Um, do you have anything else on Chapter 4 or should we move on? No, I'm, um, I'm trying to think how Chapter 4 ends. Uh, um, Lucas releases a carrier pigeon. You leave the club and you get Kumatora and Duster back. The band plays his farewell song for Duster. Bonnie's still dressed as a human. <laughs> uh, and that's basically it. Yeah. But it's really the beginning of that chapter that I think is why it hits so hard for the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honestly, Stephen, you've changed my mind a little bit uh, about how I feel about the rest of that chapter. I think you're right about most of it. But chapter five, I spent a lot of time with Boney still dressed as a human because I didn't know where to go. Do <laughs> <laughs> so y'all want to take a quick break and then we'll get back to chapter five? Yeah, sure. Works for me. Sounds good. We are back, dear listener, and we're talking about chapter five and maybe the rest of the game. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but chapter five is kind of like, it's definitely the most like connective tissue of all the chapters, I would say. Like it, it, it doesn't have the same like uh, momentous ending or opening that chapters one and four have. It's more like you got to do the things. Yeah, it, it feels like the penultimate episode of a season of TV in a way where it's like <laughs> you just yeah. know that the shit's going to get really exciting towards the end, you know, when the finale comes next week. But you just have to like sit there and watch this episode. Not that it's bad because there's some great stuff in this one. Yeah, but this sure was the chapter in which I spent a week fighting the black beanling leveling up to the point where <laughs> I could go back and fight uh, Mr. Passion again, now named Lord Passion in a way that was the most like cathartic experience of maybe my entire <laughs> life as a person who plays video games i crushed lord passion under the weight of like 55 levels above where he's supposed to be <laughs> and goddamn, it felt good to to fuck that guy over and those shoes are worth it there's like one other pair of shoes that are as good as those with yeah, you, yeah you get the the magical shoes which will carry you through like chapter eight pretty much uh, <laughs> but there's a uh, there, there's some other things that you get for duster later but yeah uh well you you mentioned like hey you should go fight lord passion i'm glad i did because uh yeah. even i didn't even give a shit about the shoes it was more about just like killing a <laughs> ghost catharsis. a second time yeah <laughs> No, I love that uh, the shoes are floating around in the background. It's like, ooh, what are those? I don't care. I need to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I was this, at. This chapter is basically like confronting the cause of the result of chapter four. So you yeah. you go to the Thunder Tower, which has been, it's like the visible tower on the horizon that has been striking houses with lightning. And they're like, where is this lightning coming from? <laughs> and like everyone, again, aiming at the end of like, you can see what's happening. You go there, you fight facade for the first time and he slips on his own banana peel very cathartic as well oh my god uh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> feels so um, good and i think this chapter is mostly like going on highways in like the uh the robotic like bean thing and then the pork bean it ends with you first seeing the mysterious masked man who's like very immediately klaus but like being manipulated <laughs> by the evil guys <laughs> 
And the how, game knows how quickly it. did you clock that it was Klaus? Because for me, it was like the moment he appeared on screen. I was like, that's my dead brother. <laughs> so here's the thing. I that actually was one of the few things that I had spoiled for me already. Like I mm. knew like I knew that he was the masked man. I knew that Porky was like the end. And that's oh, actually really? the only the only connected tissue between I guess like the only like immediate connected tissue between Mother 3 and Earthbound is is Porky who is Ness's neighbor, who is like kind of this like you kind of feel bad for him, but he also makes you not feel bad for him at the same time. He's this neighbor. You who pity is like, him. Got, you pity him, but he's also terrible. Yeah, he's literally um, Eric Cartman. Like, as yes, a, exactly. Like, but like not given a pedestal. You know, yeah. like, he is just terrible. And uh, what's kind of interesting in, in the beginning of Hours of Earthbound, which I think I think actually at least the first, as you said before, Brendan, the first one or two hours of Earthbound are good companion piece to mother three if you don't play both of them because when you first go to the meteorite and you meet buzz 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 the like celestial bee is like ness you and your friends are going to save the world from destruction uh this is like a prophecy that has already been seen you're going to yeah. do it and before like given no evidence porky is actually his name is i think picky uh in porky. the original earthbound it's a mistranslation actually um right. so Pokey is his name in Earthbound, but that is a mistranslation from Porky, which is oh, it was supposed name. to be Porky all along. Yeah, it was supposed it, to be Porky. Interesting. So, so Porky in Earthbound is like I already know I'm not going to be one of those people. Like yeah. he just kind of he kind of rules himself out in a way that like is totally not like Ness invites him to his party. Like there's only been opportunity given to Porky by like Ness and the friends, but he like kind of cements this idea that he's like gonna be the villain instead like from go yeah and is an earthbound and then in mother three you find out i mean it's pretty clear if you know the character like the note you find about like making the animals cooler is very porky porky to me is actually a really fascinating character in the sense that he reminds me a lot of tetsuo from akira where it's like oh yeah what hat what ha or, or sid from toy story where it's like what happens when you give like a immature misguided hurts like child's godlike powers you know and i think it's kind of a really disturbing inverse of like a spider-man story where like you know peter parker is this like you know down in his luck lovable nerd that gets powers and uses them for good but it's like normally when you take a character who's in that situation they're going to use them for very immature reasons and that's what porky does he, yeah he thinks of the world as like his own playpen and he's pathetic and again you pity him but you don't empathize with him at all absolutely and uh, one, one of the things i think is really interesting about earthbound from what i've heard is like the end of that game spoilers for earthbound i'm sorry in advance but uh <laughs> the, the end of that game is like this kind of like big like cosmic evil that just like yeah. is kind of just like this personification of evil, which again, if, you, if you're thinking about this game as like through the lens of a kid named Ness or whoever you decide to name him, I guess. Um, but if you're playing this as like through the through the eyes of a kid, like for all intents and purposes, all of the bad things that happen in the world might as well be caused by like a big fucking cosmic weird like uh, nightmare thing, you know. Um, but in reality, like all the stuff that actually happens in that game, like Porky very early on gets like hit by his yeah. parents, like like his parents like beat him in front of you at a certain point in that game. Um, and like it's much easier when you're like an eight year old to be like, that's because of the big like nightmare shadow that looms above all of us and sent this meteor into our town instead of being like Porky's parents are fucking shitty people, you know. But in, in the case of Earthbound, like that's how it's all kind of framed. And, and Porky's fall, from what I know, like kind of 
is just like another person, like another friend of yours, just like falling down that same rabbit hole instead of saying like, I'm going to be better than these people, you know, and 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 like uh, just kind of like stand up on, on two feet and like continue to like march my way forward, kind of like falls back into the unfortunate cycle of violence that, you know, uh, continues to happen in, in instances of abuse like that, which is, you know fucking horrifying and really really brutal um and and like that's kind of what earthbound seems to be about from what i know of it um is like all of this bad shit keeps happening over and over again around ness and like he doesn't really know how to contextualize it you know he doesn't really understand where it comes from and and like the psychological damage that happens on people when when bad things happen to them and like where they kind of reframe it and refocus it and sometimes in like in porky's case it comes out as like aggression you know and and becoming a bad person to kind of i I don't know make make amends i guess with the horrible things that happen to them is like well now i get to do that to other people um and weirdly enough earth sorry mother three is like the conclusion of that <laughs> yeah um, yeah in, in like a really like uh terrifying way uh and and we'll talk more about that i guess as we get more towards that because we're still pretty early on but i don't know I, I i just think porky showing up in this game was like shocking to me i i yeah. i didn't know that he was going to be in this game when he showed up it was like oh <laughs> okay i kind of get where this is um, going yeah some of the <laughs> a, as as a the the member of our little trio who has finished earthbound i have a lot of thoughts about porky as a character i feel that oh this is going to be hard to word gaigus as a character um the reason every single thing be it a stop sign or a taxi cab or a, a new age retro hippie is attacking you in earthbound is because a lot like Hollow Knight, actually. Like the idea of the radiance in Hollow Knight was that it was taking that little bit. Spoiled this for Hollow Knight, by the way. It was taking that little bit of like personal willpower and love in the Hollow Knight and manipulating it and using it to expand its influence in the worst possible ways. And Porky is essentially Gygus's Hollow Knight. Like, because Porky had that little bit of evil by his parents abusing him, like, openly in front of the character. Gygus was able to use Porky as essentially his vessel for all the yeah. evils he wanted to enact upon the actual world itself. And, yeah, I think what you said is a really good testament to Porky as a character, like, how cycles of abuse continue. But I th- I'll also think that, like, it was Porky himself... Who like wanted to enact those things but didn't have the avenue with which to do it and was a- now that he had this like evil on his side was able to follow through on those yeah yeah and there's this like constant uh, the reason i compared him to tetsuo and akira is like both of those characters share this constant inferiority complex where like nothing is ever enough and that's also kind of mirrored by like this like rise of capitalism where they always need more to be sated and like uh, Porky isn't happy with being king of the world. You know, he <laughs> needs to get rid of everyone who doesn't like him until he's happy, which we'll talk about more later. But it's very similar to Tetsuo. And like one of the one of the scenes I've, I've read and I've read and watched Akira. But uh, <laughs> I can get in the background of this video right now. It's right yeah. there. Hey, if you haven't read Akira, it's fucking great. I know most people have watched it, but read it too. It's awesome. Anyway, uh, the the scene in the movie where like Tetsuo is in bed and there are these like weird like teddy bears that are like spilling milk out of them like he had just he had just gotten these like insane telekinetic powers and he's still being haunted by this idea that he's still a baby because he is 
you know and in the comics they draw that even more we're like there's a point in the comics it's not really a spoiler he like blows up just part of the moon just because he can and it like fucks up the whole tide of the earth but he's still not the most powerful and like no matter what he does or what he shows off and it, it's 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 he's not a rootable character you, you pity him and he's the villain but like you just see how much like both characters inability to deal with their own grief or their own sense of self-worth uh, enables these cycles of violence. Like Brendan said earlier, it, it, it can, it creates a very compelling villain where I think like sometimes when you need a villain, it's always hard to do motivation well because you want to understand why they're a villain, but you don't want to relate to it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that both Tetsuo and Porky are like, hopefully you can't relate to it. I'd be scared <laughs> if you could, but you can definitely pity them while also recognize them as the villain that needs to be stopped. So it, it makes a very compelling character. So this sounds a little bit like we're um, rambling about Porky, but the first time you actually see Earthbound and Ness's influence on this character is in chapter five. While you're ascending the Thunder Tower, there is an entire room that is dedicated to Earthbound memorabilia. And Porky literally has Ness's yo-yo on a pedestal in his room. Like, it yeah, is that, clear how much tragedy he, is like, you can tell how much he wanted to be friends with them, which yeah. is really sad. Yeah. Like, you can, there's a whole bunch of like, like the teddy bear from Earthbound that takes all your hits for you. The yo-yo, like a bunch of like little items lying around. And you can see that like, as a character, he very much idolized Ness and wanted to be Ness but couldn't figure out a way to like be him. Yeah. It goes back to in the game itself as a next door neighbor, Porky saw Ness's life and envied it. Even though Ness's dad was never home, even though he had like a pretty average life, Porky growing up in an abusive household wanted to like, be that character like wished he yeah. could live that life and couldn't even though he personally opted out you know he right. was he was yeah. like i, right. I don't exactly. want to be part of this crew i don't belong on this crew i'm out like he he harbors this kind of like internal expectation upon ness to say like i know that you said you don't want in but i'm gonna bring you in anyway you know like porky specifically was like i don't want to be part of this and and i'll catch you later hang 10 goodbye and then bailed uh, and, and that's the, that's the tragedy I think for me of, of Porky is like knowing that internally he like really strived for more for himself. Um, but like really struggled with this, this self-worth that like led him down the path of being the antagonist of two video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I don't want to like, this is, uh, towing on end game territory and like, I don't want to get too far into it, but man, like this Playing both games so many times. Sorry about the cat screeching in the background. That's Playing good ambience. both games so many times, this, like, room started has echoed with me more and more every time I've played it. Just, like, this room with yeah. him idolizing Ness has meant more and more to me over mm -hmm. the course of playing it. Some other fun things about Chapter 5, Thunder Tower, is that, um, not to throw shade at Brendan and Steven, but um, there is a mouse mom who you encounter on the highway who if you find all seven of her kids, she gives you an item that is like a 20, a 50 cent like uh, Gashapon machine sticky hand that takes shields away from any enemy. Like it's a infinite use item that you get that, that can take shield from any enemy in the game. Yeah. And it is like a coveted item that you absolutely should have. 
Yeah. <laughs> it I, makes like, it way easier. I don't I don't think this is throwing shade at Steven. <laughs> if anything, this is throwing shade at the game for hiding <laughs> such an incredibly important and valuable item behind fucking nonsense <laughs> that is so easily mixed. It, you, this is the chapter in which you get a fucking car that can fly and you fly around in your car that they've just given you past a thing that is considered crucial to the game. <laughs> There was a point where I finally felt like I was okay. I don't need to use the 2007 Toxic Game Facts forum to get by. I can just trust my own instinct. And I and I took pictures of my Game Boy Advance <laughs> to Will. I sent you pictures. I'm like, here I am. And, you, and you, your first response, like, oh, I've never gone to that point without getting Duster first. This is later. But I'm like, I actually felt like I was on the critical path, and I still somehow missed something because <laughs> this game is fucking bullshit in the middle, where it's like they give you. It's just infuriating. <laughs> like we said at the top, it's like there's so much like truly like just moments of art and triumph in this game. And then it's like, how could I reasonably know where to go? And this again is coming from me. I play Dragon Quest V on my phone <laughs> and I'm doing okay without a guide. I know how to breed a golden chocobo with my eyes closed. I play a lot of these kind of games and this is up there in terms of the most infuriating. And it's from 2006. This is post Titus. I used to have 10. Titus tells me where to go. Get the fuck out of here, Lucas. I couldn't believe how many times in in future boss battles that I was stuck up against, I would Google like, okay, what are the strategies that people use to do this? And people would be like, well, first of all, you got to start with the shield snatcher. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't get the shield snatcher. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I don't even remember any mice on the highway. That's how Me either, that is. Yeah. I don't eat like when you said there's a mouse mother with seven kids. I'm like, all I remember is a gas station. And a blur. And, I and, fought their know. dad later. That's all I remember is that their dad showed up and was like, hey, what's up, man? And then I kicked his ass in one hit. And that was the only inkling I had ever had that there were mice who were important in this game. Yeah. So, so chapter five is 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 uh, fine if you don't get the shield snatcher. How does it end? Oh, I do like the ending of this chapter a lot. It's when you uh, meet, you see the masked man for the first time. And is this the airship? Yeah. It's the airship. Yeah. The group. Uh, the it's the rope snake's big moment. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Duster throws the rope snake, and the four Kumatora, Lucas, Boney, and Duster are all like hanging on by a thread via rope snake on this airship. And uh, and the rope snake says something like, "My jaw actually can't handle any more weight." To be blunt, this is a jaw dropping <laughs> moment. And then let's go, and everyone falls off. Yeah. And. I actually, I, I, I like this chapter just because like everyone was finally back together. You know, it is like, even though there's not like as many uh, standout moments, like in terms of narrative or gameplay, it is like the first time in a while where you have Duster, Boney, Kumatora and, and uh, Lucas all in one party, which is kind of exciting to have. Yeah. This is also the chapter where I realized that Boney is supposed to be like the healer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like the item guy. Like yeah. You got to sniff and use well, like items. I, every run I've ever had, I give the shield snatcher to Boney. <laughs> yeah, use him as my because he's the fastest like party member in the game. So like anything you need healing or item wise, he should be doing first. Yeah, it is tough because like you you quickly learn that Lucas always goes last, but you get Lucas's input first. And the way the gameplay works is that like to be completely honest, to be fair to the game, I do really actually like 
the battle system, ironically. As much <laughs> as we've complained about the game's like weirdness and 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 walls, like the battle system is cool. I like the idea that so let's say Lucas has 200 health and an enemy hits him for 400. It will say like if, if there's ever any attack that does amount of damage that will kill the character, it will say so and so takes mortal damage. But then the health actually has to dial down. Yeah. So if you're fast enough, you have time to like react and heal people. I do really like that. It Me actually too. makes like for a very compelling battle when it's when it's not you know totally one-sided <laughs> I, I hate it the other way around though when you have to heal and then you just like sit there on a text box and just wait for the health to go all the way up first before you can do yeah. things but you get lucas kamatora duster and then boney and boney and and duster usually go first so you usually will give them items that will help out kamatora mvp starstorm incredible and Absolutely. just like you know also knows how to heal lucas step the fuck up uh anyway <laughs> <laughs> i i do want to mention that while we're talking about just like mechanically what's going on with the combat the i i'm very curious what you guys think about the rhythm game side of things because i found it infuriating as a person who like has rhythm (laughs) yeah i didn't i love it conceptually and i hate it in execution so basically like the game if you tap like if you say like so-and-so attack and then you hit the A button repeatedly to the rhythm of the song, you can actually get in more hits. It actually also applies to PK moves, which I didn't even realize until the very end of the game. And Will, I don't think you realized until now. <laughs> I, I didn't know that at all. You can, you can, can do you? PK Starstorm more than once and PK Thunder more than once if you get the rhythm of it. I never once w- have hit that either. Yeah, didn't know. Um, so that's all well and good, but there's no... It's off just enough that even if you get the rhythm... It doesn't work, and it, it, there's no, like, it could have really used some kind of visual representation of doing it, because um, it really just feels like you luck out by spamming A every now and then. <laughs> I had, um, in my whole playthrough, only one time hit all 16, because you can hit up to 16 times. Once did I hit the 16 times, <laughs> and at a certain point, I just gave up, because I felt like J.K. Simmons and Whiplash just yelling, not my tempo at my Game Boy Advance <laughs> at a certain point, because I was like, I know, I know what rhythm? the tempo is. I am so yeah. fucking aware of what the tempo is i'm going into there's like a like a battle memory thing that you can do where like you can go and refight all of the enemies that you fought before i actually did that for mr passion so i could like kill mr passion was i like practice the timing because it's not what you think it is when you go and you use hypnosis with duster on any of the enemies you can hear the the rhythm of the beat like perfectly but the way the the moments in which you're supposed to hit a are like slightly before the beat is always a little faster than you so think it you, is. So yeah. you all want to hear why? Yeah, um, I really want to hear why. It is because we all played emulators. We all played emulated versions of the game. So there's delay because of that. Like regardless of whether we had a cartridge or a and a system to play it on because of the fact that it is an emulated game it is not perfectly synced up with the actual happenings of the game oh my god really yes really that makes There's sense like but, but even no still way. honestly i i still think it can use a little bit more tuning because like yeah like i think it's w- a yeah, really widen cool the, idea yeah widen the the time gap yeah i totally agree with you steven yeah yeah that's fair. um, um i think i am pr- pretty sure that the amount of damage you do is based on like you notice that you get like a bunch of ones and then some like 20s the amount of time between when the hit beat should be hit and when you actually hit it actually affects how much damage you do if you keep up with the beat oh, itself oh that makes sense thankfully it's not mandatory you, you can definitely get through most battles without using it so it's 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 set up to be extra but like even still i think like like the the early paper mario games i think did a better job of like incorporating like timing and rhythm to the battles than this game did yeah 
I, I again I like that it's there, but I wish it was done better. But I just had to ignore it at a certain point, which I found like to be such a huge bummer because like I I really wanted to engage with that and I thought it was a really cool idea. Yeah, because the music is also so great. I would love to like be in the rhythm of the songs (laughs) as I fight, but like it's I have to I have to purposely be not in the rhythm of the song to just get in a few more hits with Duster's feet. So like whatever it was, I had to do this thing where I just like shut off my ears to the music and like keep the beat myself like purposefully ignoring the music to be able to keep with the rhythm, which was like relying on my internal metronome, which does not feel good when you're playing a rhythm (laughs) It's like playing Guitar Hero with the sound muted. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. It's nonsense, which is what I had to do with Mr. Passion, which I, I, as soon as I beat Mr. Passion, I was like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm done with the rhythm system. There are a lot of games that try to do rhythm within turn-based combat. And weirdly, they're all in the same kind of subgenre of like mother under, Undertale, uh, (laughs) Mario and Luigi, Paper Mario. And I feel like Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi do it best. I did like that uh, in uh, Eichenfell, which also tried to do a similar like timing mechanic. Yes. You could adjust the difficulty to make it that like, because there by default, there are three stages where if you do it perfectly, it does the most. If you do it like kind of close, it does okay. And then if you miss it, you miss but you can adjust it so that like you either always hit normal or you always hit great. Or I think the best difficulty is like if you hit it where if you're close, you get great. And then if you like, you know, are a little bit off, you get normal. Yeah. And if you totally miss it, you miss it. But like, well, I think you would really like I can fail if you haven't played it. By you the way. would absolutely love I can fail. <laughs> it's I incredible. watched y'all's stream of it and it looked really good. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a good time. It's on Game Pass. Yeah. Ooh. And you Switch know who doesn't have an Xbox Series ah! S. <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry. Well done, Switch. <laughs> it's on. Um, it's on. Oh, a lot of are stuff. we? Are we done with Chapter Five? I think so. Let's see if any of you had anything else to say about it. It's not a super uh, memorable Facade chapter. Facade throws a banana peel down and slips and falls off the airship, uh, and also and everybody else the tower. Yeah, and he her- literally presses the button to destroy the tower, and is like later nerves and then slips on a banana peel and yeah. presumably dies. Yeah, no body, no death though. Uh, and yeah, then you that's know, the mother three rule. Everybody else falls. Uh, and uh, takes us into chapter six, which is a short chapter, but a really great moment. And also another moment where I'm like, oh, okay, I see Undertale's connection to flowers. Um, <laughs> but uh, this chapter where Lucas wakes up in kind of a dreamlike state in a field of sunflowers and sees like the spirit of his mother and leaps towards her and and uh, and then wakes up. And that's basically the whole chapter. But it's it's firmly established that like Hinoa through dreams had reached several characters to like get them reunited so like she's playing a role in like getting them back on track to facing the big bad later yeah uh i i love this moment i thought it was i i I always want more moments like this in this game i want less jealous base and more (laughs) chapter sixes basically that's where i'm at constantly while playing mother three you don't want to hear an extreme fan theory oh go for it yeah Skull so, Kid is actually Majora. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That was nothing. Three of the um, flowers are Sora, Donald, and Goofy. <laughs> oh, no. Listen, you mean that's the dark part of Cloud's heart? Um, Sora, have you talked to the frogs? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> my my really the fan obtuse theory? fan theory is that um, the reason This is that, your fan theory or not? No, like, this, is, I, this isn't something I've read. This is just something that I think. It's like a little headcanon. Is oh, that, I love this. Cool, cool. 
I love um, this. So in chapter one, you notice that Alec is already friends with the magic drag queens and like knows them very well and has known them for a long time. Yeah. Yes. You also notice that Lucas and presumably Klaus are psychic, like have mm. psychic abilities. And that Hinawa, as a ghost, can communicate with people. I am pretty sure that one of the uh, magical drag queens is Lucas and Klaus's grandma. Oh, I actually love that. <laughs> That's great. Like, that is my, it's never like, it's only vaguely alluded to because Alec is super flirty with like Ionia specifically. But mm. I am pretty sure that that's like what they very subtly allude to. Um, yeah, that, that's, I, I like that's that what theory. I got for you. <laughs> there's definitely a connection regardless whether or not they're like immediately related. I think that there's there's a connection there. So I guess this is probably time we talk about those characters. Yeah, especially going yeah. into chapter seven where they are the yeah. center. So so when we started the episode, we said that there, there are elements of this game narratively that are probably one of many reasons Nintendo is like less likely to release this. These characters are, are likely amongst many reasons. Um, basically I, I, I want to open by saying that like the three of us are not trying to make any statements on like how you should feel about them or make any declarative statements on representation. It's not really our place to, um, but basically uh, there are a group of characters that are represented as like kind of like the sages in Ocarina of Time who every time you get a medallion as Link, you like meet one of them and they're usually like a, a, a person from your past to like protect something sacred. There are a group of characters who uh, we'll refer to as the drag queen deities because their name uh, unfortunately includes a slur. So we're not going to say that out loud. <laughs> Which, like, so just add, add that to the pile yeah. of stuff going yeah. on here. Just eat, like <laughs> the top most level of how you're supposed to describe this group of characters includes a slur. So like unreal. <laughs> Off yeah. the bat. It's really bad. So before you even uh, know who they are, <laughs> it's already yeah. bad. And And this conceptually is enough that I think you know, we we care a lot about our audience and about our friends who would be like most impacted by like this this potential like negative experience. So like if hearing even just that is enough for you to like write off the game, like more power to you, honestly. I found I, I can only speak for my personal experience with it. So take that for what you will. But basically you're introduced to these characters who are represented as uh, they they behave like a little bit stereotypically, and I think the the biggest the biggest like misstep for me is that they're introduced as not being human. It's like said in the script like they're not human. They're these like gods that communicate through reptiles. How you save through the frogs and stuff, and you meet them, and they're you know these kind of like they look very masculine and they have like five o'clock shadows, but they're dressed very femininely, and it's just straight up transphobic in the beginning. Very much, yeah. It's a huge bummer, and, I, and I've read a lot about what people think of these characters, because I wanted to get perspective from the LGBTQ plus community, and it goes, I think, kind of both ways. Like, There's an element in which like, there were a lot of people who played this game in 2006, where there was like zero representation for queer characters that were like happy to see like powerful deities that were represented this way, but you can't escape the fact that like the game and the script are like thinking that you find them weird you know like the, yeah. the, the script is banking on the fact that you will be off put by them and it's really unfortunate and it's really it's like the biggest bummer of the game that like that they're portrayed in this way because i think that by chapter seven you meet ionia 
and they give you like the mission of the game. Like most JRPGs would start with this mission of uh, Iona tells you like there is a sleeping dragon uh, underneath the world and there are seven needles that each of us protect. And once all the needles are pulled, we'll disappear. Our, our purpose in this reality will be over with and will and will be gone. And whoever pulls all the needles, their heart, their intention, kind of like getting the Triforce. If Ganon gets the Triforce, skeletons at midnight. If Link gets the Triforce, we're all having a good time. <laughs> That's what's going on with the needles. And by chapter seven, I actually thought that the game portrayed them in a much more positive light because like you care about them and yeah. you and you and you miss them when they disappear. And you see the positive impact they've had on other people. A standout to me is Lydia, who lives like in a snowy uh, mountainscape, and you meet all these snowmen who Lydia created, and they're all like, "We love Lydia. She gave us life and a reason for being here." Totally. And and they even brought in a pig mask soldier to like nurse back to health, who is the only pig mask in the game who takes off their helmet later. Yeah. Once Lydia disappears, you go back and, the and like vows to do good from that point on. Yes, yeah. exactly. He's take so care it's of like Lydia's rabbits. Like that's his whole purpose yes. in life from that point on. So I love I, I I love that they are given these moments that like have dramatic weight and you care about them and they have a positive role. They're heroic. And I just wish that was more prevalent earlier. So that way it wasn't like, uh, you know, they were introduced like a setup to a joke and then became meaningful characters. And I think, I think the setup is so harmful that it's kind of hard to ignore. Uh as you're playing this game. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, I will uh, push back a slight bit. I really think the way they're introduced by Alec in chapter one, which uh, we kind of, we glossed over it because we wanted to like save it for chapter seven when they're the most prevalent in the game, like, cause they are literally the focal point right. of this yeah. entire chapter. But it, they're introduced in chapter one when Flint needs like help to find his son and Alec just views them as people like it's like he really sees them as his his friends like yeah totally there's nothing strange about them to him which i think is really important and impactful regardless of what the other characters may think of them however there is a scene in chapter four which we also skipped over mostly out of fear (laughs) but um there's a scene in chapter four where Lucas meets Ionia randomly, like in passing, and wants to, like, she tells him about the powers that he has lying within. And there's a really suggestive scene, which, um, to be blunt, implies assault. And that sucks. That's like, that's, I don't have much more to say to it than, like, I, I can defend Alec being, like, viewing these, like, these people as his friends in the beginning, like, establishing that they're, like, they're a positive friends force. and they're a positive yeah. force and they're not meant to be harmful or like they're not scary but that moment in the game is really gross yeah <laughs> like, it, it just plays into really like dangerous stereotypes and like exactly really like heavily politicized stereotypes specifically yeah um that are like patently untrue i think and and like including that scene in the game at all is like really just that, that was the moment for me where I was like, I think I'm not really on board with what's happening here anymore. And and kind of from that point on, I've been a little bit like iffy on how I feel about the game as a whole. Because, I mean, there are even other moments in Chapter 7. Uh, we could talk about the oxygen tanks in, in uh, the quote unquote, in Chapter 7, which like just, I guess, to 
set it up a little bit. Chapter seven involves you going and finding the needles around uh, the island that you're on and and uh, trying to find each one before the masked uh, person finds them, I guess. Uh, so you can imbue your own heart into the needle, wh- whatever, all the dragon <laughs> shit. But that takes you around the island. It takes you around uh, the, the place where you live and, and, and like kind of exploring new areas. And there's like the snow level, as we alluded to. There's like the desert level. There's <laughs> there's another level, which is another reason Nintendo will never release this game, which I want to talk about later. Uh, but then there, there's also a level that takes place underwater, which, first of all, just c- continues the uh, long video game legacy of having the worst fucking level be the water level always. Um, <laughs> I hated this whole part me, so much. Me too. J- truly yeah, awful. This is me, me too, by the way. Just want to make, I am like the, the mother stan of the trio here and playing this again, I realized like this is awful. Like you have yeah. split seconds to get between oxygen machines until you have to restart at the very beginning of the segment. It sucks. And then yeah, there's like a terrible yeah. boss battle waiting for you at the end. Just yep. all around the nightmare. <laughs> like, there's also a like time. a weird, terrible mini boss that you can go fight if you want to in this part um but i also also want to highlight what steven just said which i I just want to make sure it doesn't fly under the radar but also great music which again long video game tradition best music worst level Um, but but anyway yes the oxygen the oxygen tanks that we're referring to are like mermen specifically they're like uh synthetic like android mermen that that the pig mask army is creating um but the way they're introduced is like so um it is gay so panic. homophobic like it's, it's yeah. gay yeah. Pa- like early 2000s late 90s gay panic is the way they're introduced which sucks yeah and and it and it's really just like they not only double down on it, but like literally every single time you need to use an oxygen machine, there's like a 15 second, like kind of like pink screen that pops up over, over the entire game. That's just like, Ooh, can you even imagine what's happening here? And it's so fucking gross every time. Like it really yeah. bummed me out that they were leaning so hard into this really shitty joke. It takes like two hours. Like that whole segment is like, so it's like a 10th of the game. That's what is I woke that- up and did this morning was that level. I like, I, I like prepared, I got, Got to the beach last night and then I woke up like late last night. I was already pissed when I turned the game off and I turned the game on this morning, still pissed. Uh, and then that was the first thing I had to experience. And I was like, between what they're doing with with the deities and now this, like it just has so many missteps that like I don't know yeah. if I'd be able to recommend it to anyone. It's hard. It's hard because I, I, when I when I did my reading, I I saw that like most people were like, okay, this wasn't intended to be hateful, but it's at least playing off stereotypes in a very negative way. Yeah, and it comes off as hateful because it's it's reducing someone to be the butt of a joke in in multiple instances. That's exactly um, my read. Yeah, which is totally antithetical to like the message of the game, which is yes. so frustrating. It's like that's but, the the sad thing about um Earthbound as compared to Mother 3 is as far as I can remember um in my last playthrough of Earthbound which was like 5 years ago or so nothing like this happens in Earthbound like nothing that can be I nothing that either is hateful or can be misconstrued as hateful happens in Earthbound. Earthbound's like a very throughout positive like everyone's good and has like well um, I guess we can get into that later if we want to talk about Earthbound slash Mother One a little bit. There's like a thing here and there that is like pretty iffy, but there's nothing that's like outwardly hateful of like a culture or a uh, person that the way there is in this game. Like yeah. I was playing that through that water section and I was like, oh, Brendan and Seaburn are going to hate this. And also I hate this. This sucks. Like it's yeah. just not fun. It's probably the worst moment of the game, honestly, like in all ways, both like mechanically and like 
story wise. Yes, yes. And like exactly. in terms of how they depict characters, just worse. The only good thing about this portion of the game is the fact that the Navy squeal joke is made when you fight underwater. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, I mean, I I did uh, on you know on the other side. I think as the deities start to disappear and they leave behind their mementos and um, guide you along your adventure, I I enjoyed that part of their role in the story much more. Yeah, and you know it, it shouldn't be a consequence of them like leaving the story, but I just think like they were given importance in the narrative that wasn't making light of their existence or identity. But overall, chapter seven, I think, was it was very long. It's the longest chapter. It's like a third of the game, basically, which is kind of like I I think is a little bit frustrating because Brendan and I were trying to finish this in time and we both were like, I want chapter seven. We can do it in a few days. (laughs) It's like that's like I had to fight the barrier trio and like, oh, there's like eight jealous bases waiting for me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. When Brendan, I mean, every every single needle that you have to pull has like an extremely difficult mini boss before it or like like just boss before it and and there's really like to be totally blunt like there are not enough enemies even between those boss fights for you to like level up in any meaningful way but they continue to get harder every time so like you're just kind of stuck at the same i was i i started my run this morning at level 51 and by the time i was done pulling all the needles i was level 53 like i didn't really level up a whole lot in that time span but all of those bosses got harder than the last one every time anyway it was really frustrating man i uh, yeah yeah the two the two standouts there for this chapter i really liked the snowman uh mountain that i mentioned earlier and i also loved the island it's actually right after the underwater section but when you are starving and you have to eat mushrooms to survive and you end up you know as you would guess tripping on shrooms that that whole section is great that's the other moment that i wanted to mention like that is just another thing to throw on the pile of reasons nintendo can never release this game without (laughs) it being like rated m for mature uh but like this sure is the the so i i guess uh weirdly just kind of like on top of mind because at least at the time of us recording a recent news story in video games is that uh the uh essentially the esrb but for australia is choosing to not rate or uh, allow the release of disco elysium in australia specifically because it breaks one of their rules which is that you can do a drug that helps you the character that's like one of the rules in australia that like if if you're if the main character can do a drug and that has a positive impact on their stats then you can't release your game um (laughs) well like that's kind of what happens in mother three so like the um to establish what actually happens when you arrive when you get past the incredibly homophobic uh mermen and you get past the obscene amount of enemies in the underwater section you have to eat you are reduced to one health by the final mini boss of the underwater section and you have to eat mushrooms to get through to the next area like you like the game does not give you an option because if you try to fight the boss beyond the mushrooms it will kill you in one hit yeah so um you're essentially made to undertake this hallucinogenic trip through essentially what has been the past three years for the main characters yeah i think that's yeah the one thing that this does like this trip regardless of how um <laughs> awkward it is to trip on mushrooms in a nintendo game is that it establishes what has been happening to lucas over the past three years like yeah he really, that's why like, i liked it a lot i, 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 I do i do want to make very clear that i i just wanted to bring that up as a reason nintendo wouldn't release the game <laughs> i personally oh, yeah. thought it was fucking great i love yeah. this bit i thought it was awesome section. Yeah. To, not to get too real, but like there's a point in this mushroom trip where Flint walks up to like in the hallucination of Flint walks up to Lucas and says he's going to beat him. And yeah. like that is harrowing 
It's like terrifying as a character because you really, as we mentioned earlier, you really don't know what happened to these characters over the course of the three, three years. And like yeah. hearing, like seeing Lucas experience this hallucination of his father beating him, it unfortunately makes sense for like what might, like how these characters might have processed their grief. Sure. I mean, we've already, we've already been shown that Flint is someone who doesn't really know how to deal with his own emotions. So right. like, and is prone to lashing out with violence. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's another point where you talk to Wes and Wes is like, I'm sorry. I'm the reason to Duster. He says, I'm sorry. I'm the reason you can't have full use of your leg. Cause Duster walks with like a slight limp. Yeah. And we don't know if that's true or not, but like all the characters are kind of dealing with these visions of people in their life. Uh, We even see uh, Klaus at some points. It's, it's really effective. And then like, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it, I thought it was like a good uh, fusion of both like narrative and mechanic experience throughout the game. You know, yeah, because it is worth like, m- mentioning that every time you go and find a, a person, you know, because you're you're hallucinating in this in this jungle. But every time you go and find a person, they are actually an enemy in the jungle that you then need to fight. So it starts off with like some really like harrowing, uh, emotionally dense dialogue. And then it immediately goes into like, here's a scary smiley face that you need to hit with. <laughs> PK camera. I picked PK camera. When you find uh, <laughs> when you find a hot spring, the first hot oh spring you God, go into, yeah. you hear you hear Boney whine. You're like, why is Boney whining? Um, and then you go back. He won't go in. Also, he doesn't go in. He won't go in. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't get healed in the hot spring. You go back, sobered up, and you see it's like a there's outside the actual indoor hot spring is like this pond of trash. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it's really good. incredible. Because um, when you go meet the deity fact, there, they're like, you smell like shit my guy <laughs> it's actually really rude to come into somebody's house smelling as bad as you do which i love yeah uh and, and then they hit you with a two by four uh, again <laughs> to serve you up <laughs> um fun fact about a little uh mother three tidbit that will learned over his past decade is if you fight enough monk choruses there is a slight chance that they will drop the mystical gloves i've done it a few times if you the mystical gloves are like the same thing as the shoes for duster like they kind of break the game for a bit oh. for Kumatora specifically but oh, cool. um, they also it sucks to do because they have like an 8% drop chance but I do love how like each character's equipped weapon is like a very focal part of their body yeah like Lucas has the stick which is like an extension of himself uh, Kumatora has the gloves Duster has the shoes and Boney has the collar yeah. that might be me overreading it but I just think it's Boney like has a little hat that's true yeah he has a hat that looks like a bear for most of my playthrough <laughs> Oh my god, I love uh, uh, this is completely unrelated. I guess it's kind of related, but I guess it's in maybe late chapter 7 or chapter 8 but you eventually get the canine weapon and it's like, here's a weapon that only dogs can use. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he's the only character without a weapon for like most of the game. I laughed, I was so mad at the video game, but I laughed so hard when I picked up the canine (laughs) weapon. That's all I had to say about chapter seven, unless either of you have anything to add. We can move on to the end. I will add that I... So um, something we have to highlight that's really important is that the Mr. Saturn show up in chapter seven. They're like a very iconic earthbound character. It's just like a hidden away valley of Mr. Saturn's. When Lucas arrives on the stage in Smash... He shows up on a table, like a coffee table, yeah. and that table is in this game, and he rides it to Saturn Valley. That is oh where God. that comes from. I actually, so one of my favorite moments in the game is, I'm so glad you brought up Mr. Saturn's, because you go into the hot springs and they give you coffee, <laughs> and Lucas has this like 
two to three minute just like text inner monologue that is like easily one of my favorite moments in the game. Yeah. It's like so good and and heartfelt. It's really great. That is uh, another of the references directly to Earthbound because there's a moment in Earthbound where you sit in a hot spring. I think the only hot spring in Earthbound and you sip a coffee that a Mr. Saturn gave you and you just hallucinate about your journey. It's like a traditional <laughs> it's a traditional like Earthbound experience. But there's that. I wanted I think so like you can actually go to the island at any point in the, in the chapter seven. Like you can go as just Lucas and Boney and I'm sure it would be incredibly difficult. But oh my God, I think it's really important to do it last because it's kind of like a refresher, a really sad refresher on what you've been through yeah. in the game to that point. I do wonder how much the game would change if you went with just Lucas and Boney. I wonder yeah, yeah. what were what were both your orders? I did Chimera Lab uh mountain and then uh the island and then eonia that was my order for the needles i believe oh and then mr saturn i think was before the island because we got duster back uh brendan what was yours yeah i'm actually looking it up because i just followed the fan gamer guide which you can buy for six dollars as a pdf i just want to mention <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did uh i did chimera lab uh first and then uh what, what was the next one was uh oh yeah the the, the snow cap and uh yeah mr saturn underwater jungle yeah I, the same, the same as you thing. steven actually yeah because i that's when i i texted will and you said you had never gone to snow cap without duster first um, and I was oh, like, wow. what yeah. i i usually uh go get duster first like before anything else which oh, means wow. i get my ass kicked by um, another thing we a uh, little bit missed here is that facade comes back. Facade has been rebuilt as uh, yeah. like a robot with who communicates Trumpets. via horns. Yeah. yeah. And he has an interpreter who I think is really cute. Like yeah. I've always loved facades interpreter, but oh, I usually yeah. go get duster first and then I go get Kumatora from the chimera lab and then Snowcap and then islands. That's great. Interesting. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I think, I think yeah. if I were ever to play this game a second time, I would probably do it that way too. Yeah. Um, and this, this playthrough again, highlighted for me how much I love specifically the chimera lab. Like it's just it's such a great a moment. Really yeah. interesting. Like lore wise, it's really cool because yeah. it, it like shows how they make their experiments, but also like story wise, the, the music and the tense nature of when the ultimate chimera first featured in super smash brothers brawl on the stage, Newport city <laughs> is revealed. I I think that whole thing, that whole sequence is really awesome. We also and also, Salsa a, and Samba come back. I was going to say, Salsa's big move. Yeah, yeah, Salsa and Samba are back, and they help save the day, um, which is awesome. I kind of wish Salsa played a bigger role, because we played so much of them in Chapter 3. Me too. I was so surprised yeah. that this was it, honestly. Yeah. Me, me too. If Salsa come back, came back in Chapter 8, that would have been magic. Like, yeah. Yeah. Missed opportunity, yeah. truly. How Salsa joined DCMC? That would be like my dream. <laughs> yeah. Do a little dance. Yeah. So that's all I got in Chapter 7, if you want to... If you guys want to move on to the yeah. last chapter. How about we take a break and then we move on to chapter eight and talk about the end of the game and maybe take some questions. That sounds great. Sounds good to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. We're in the last chapter. We're here. Chapter eight. Um, I think it's been interesting talking about this game with the two of you and like kind of in the way the game is divided, trying to pinpoint like where it really resonated with me. I feel like chapters one through four are probably still like the biggest for me, but I would yeah. say chapter eight, if I could combine one through four into like a singular unit, chapter eight is like on the same level, if not maybe a little higher. It's 
it's really great. I think this is probably the moment of the game that like most people point to when they say this is like their favorite game of all time. Um, it's also the moment that like was spoiled for me. Like I knew everything about chapter eight before it happened. So like the fact that it still hit hard was like a testament to the storytelling here. But chapter seven ends, you have pulled all the needles and a limousine shows up and they're like, hey, Master Porky would love to cordially invite you to New Pork City. And you're like, I play Brawl. I'll go. That sounds great. Let's get in the limo. <laughs> um, you get into the limousine, which is flying, kind of a fifth element car. Uh, and you go to New Pork City, which is like, as you kind of head canonize Brendan, the place that like people in Tasmalee have been either trying to make Tasmalee into or trying to make Tasmalee like in anticipation of moving to New yeah. Pork City. But the thing that's kind of weird is like you talk to everyone there and it's this very like, it almost reminds me a little bit of elements of Spirited Away where there's this like just sort of mania present, you know, in, in some of the setting design, like there's like carnival stuff and arcades and masks. And like, it reminds me of the baby's room in spirit away. That's like full of toys. Oh yeah. And the, ba- the baby is huge. And it's like, <laughs> I'll break your arm if you don't play with me, which is like a very porky vibe. I think, um, <laughs> Like an overgrown infant, but uh, it, you're in this setting and you talk to everyone there and like everyone is still kind of conflicted. You know, you don't even the people who have been like most swallowing the pig mask propaganda are like not like sated by being there. There's this like there's this kind of uncertainty of like, OK, we're here either people are saying, like, OK, we're finally here. I think Porky should rule everything. So there's like another desire lingering. Or they're like, I don't know if it was right to move here. I wonder what's going to happen to Tasmalee and the forest and everything. But it's already too late, really. But it's already too late, yeah. The, when you move to New York City, I mean, it, it's sort of like you're at a point in uh, going back to three houses where like you start with Edelgard and then a, a knight with a skull face shows up as your ally. And you're like, oh, I think, I think I chose the bad guys too. Dumb kiddos. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's I think that's a good read, and also it's worth mentioning that like throughout the course of chapter eight, more and more people from Tasmalee show up. Um, like as you continue to get through different plot beats in chapter eight, more and more people start showing up, like on the helipad or the limo pad, I don't know, of uh, of Newport <laughs> City, and and most of them, the ones that show up the latest, are also pretty conflicted about it in a lot of instances, which is rough. Uh, chapter eight's when I stopped playing the video game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, like, this is by far my worry. favorite chapter of the story. Anyone who gave up here isn't a real mama's boy. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to hear that, Brendan, because I, I the whole, the past like month or two where you've been playing this game, I was like, chapter eight's going to be your favorite. And then you like, here's the thing, walloped by like one of the mid bosses in chapter eight. And I was like, oh no. That, that boss is like the most frustrating boss of the whole chapter though i have to say whole yeah game, possibly yeah whole game possibly yeah well chapter chapter eight starts with you like just exploring new park city and just like talking to people and there's like some really great stuff in there there's some really great dialogue I, I i was telling will before we even started recording um just like even though i was trying to beat this game as quickly as possible for the for the benefit of like being able to talk about the whole thing for the episode i still wasn't allowing myself to like just like gun it through the the critical path like i I really wanted to make sure that I was still keeping up my like uh, go talk to everybody kind of like take in the sights and sounds and whatever and like really try and I guess like interact with with what the game like was trying to bring to the table instead of like just seeing what the story was gonna uh, bring to the table instead 
Um, and, and through that lens, Newport city is like a really interesting place to just kind of like inhabit and explore for a while. And I, I kind of felt like, oh yeah, this is what it's all been coming to. I really, really appreciated what was going on here. And like when you go into the arcade for the first time and you go talk to people, it's like really interesting. And, and uh, you eventually like make your way through uh, some apartments. Like you end up like going to a theater uh, and you find like a weird like hole in the theater that lets you like go into the sewers and the sewers lead you to like these old apartments. Um, and in the apartments is, we didn't even mention this guy, but he, he's, uh, he, he's introduced like way back, I think in chapter one, if I'm not even mistaken, it might even be the prologue. But uh, in the very beginning of the game, Thomas like begs him to help with the forest fire and he like does not speak. Yeah. At all. This guy's name is Leader. His name is Leader. Yeah. He's he's just an extremely tall man who like his whole role in Tasmali was to just like ring a bell essentially every once in a while. And he doesn't speak. And that's kind of like his big thing is like even when you go uh, up and try and talk to him throughout the game, he just kind of shakes his head no at you or does nothing. And you find Leader like essentially chained up in this apartment complex. He's like chained up between uh, two apartments, like a, a, a first floor apartment in a second floor apartment they cut a big hole in the floor of the second floor apartment so he can fit in there and he speaks for the first time and he tells you this tale of like what the world was and what it has become that i thought was like extremely powerful like to save all this exposition for chapter eight like at this point i was like so fucking on board you guys i I loved I loved everything that was happening here. I thought it was fascinating. I mean, just to like, I guess, wrap it up in like a, a little bow. The whole the whole thing is essentially there was a world. Uh, it, it kind of got corrupted by, you know, evil and greed and, and whatever. Uh, and, and eventually the world just kind of like collapsed. Um, my read on it was essentially like industrialization, capitalism and greed led to like an environmental collapse or a potential nuclear collapse of the world from Earthbound, if I were to guess. And a lot of the people or some of the people who were left were able to like take uh you know find safe haven essentially on this little tiny island where the game takes place they found that like there were people who inhabited that island before them and had like captured a dragon and all this stuff Uh, and that's where the needles come in and that kind of like catches you up between like what happened between earthbound and this game and uh essentially what we find is that facade and and porky are like trying to free the dragon to kind of do what they did with the world of earthbound to this like last little bastion of hope that's left they're just trying to turn everything into into what they uh, had before and in a way porky is also just kind of like bored out of his fucking mind and and is like just ruining everything because he can because it seems fun to him but leader was the one person of all of the people who lived in tasmali village who didn't have their minds wiped when everybody came over to tasmali they all had their minds wiped so they wouldn't remember what had come before they only knew what they had on tasmali which was like peace essentially it was peace uncorrupted but but leader was was kind of burdened with this knowledge and like needed to keep it within himself and and the whole reason he was ringing the bell i think was some kind of like pavlovian thing that would like keep people from remembering what had happened before that but anyway this whole this whole bit of exposition i thought was like extremely interesting um it it really it really filled in a lot of blanks for me because i i think the thing that really struck me about the game is like as we talked about the game is split up into chapters and each of those chapters really pull you into the next chapter when you're done with one you really want to go into the next a lot of it steven as you were saying is due to like the text scrolls that happen that just kind of like fill in some gaps or kind of just give you like an emotional palate cleanser between between chapters um but the real thing that i think is like the thread that pulls you through it is this like over over or sorry underlying mystery you know there there's so much withheld from you throughout the course of the game that you're like 
I know this is all going to come together. Weirdly enough, the game asks you to trust it. And for me, at least, I trusted it implicitly. I was like, I know that this is going to pay off in the end. All of these chapters that are absolutely like meaningless to me now, like chapter two, for example, I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening while I'm this guy who says he's a ninja with wall staples breaking into an old castle filled with ghosts who drink wine so I could steal an egg by doing a dance outside a door. Like nonsense. The whole time. That's like five hours of nonsense. Sense, but it all <laughs> pays off in the end, and I, I, I had a feeling that it would because so many people for so long have like just talked up this game as like a real narrative high point on the Game Boy Advance and just like in Nintendo's catalog in general. So like I really thought that it was going to pay off, and like this was the moment for me where it did was at Leader Story. Like just hearing about this, I thought was so interesting. It's incredible. It's a Thirteen Sentinels level twist, to be honest. I, I, I merely yeah. thought of Thirteen Sentinels because I think I think that there's a danger in over explaining in a game like this because like so much of it is so atmospheric and metaphorical that like I almost don't want to know everything but I think knowing that like there's there's like an infantile nature to the setting itself you know it's it's this last bastion of hope the nowhere islands that's like outside of existence even yeah and it's almost like a test of like you know pulling the needles and who pulls all the needles it's like is there potential for rebirth or is humanity doomed that's right. kind of what I read from that. And and that's kind of the thing, too, is that, like, the needles have to be pulled at a certain point. Right. And all the deities are aware of that. But at the same time, like, when the needles are pulled, the Earth is remade. And it's either the Earth is remade with goodness or with evil, essentially. And you're trying yeah. to prevent it from being remade with evil. But it's going to be remade. Right. Um, the interesting thing that's touched at throughout the entirety of Chapter 7 is that it's not that the world is going to be remade with evil is that the world is going to be remade with nothing because of the fact that um, the person pulling the needles opposite Lucas has nothing within them. Mm. Right. It's Klaus with like yeah. a robot head. So he can't and, really, he's not in full agency. Yeah, The whole purpose of like Porky's mission is not to rebuild the world in terms of like evil. It's to rebuild the world. And like, so no one will be around, but him like literally make it empty. Just like he made the masked man. There's almost kind of like a death wish on his end too, weirdly enough, where it's like he's so bored out of his mind that like even being a villain has lost his interest. He just wants it all to end, like you just said. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think Leader, Leader just like, that monologue I found great. And I also just love like, He's like the Chekhov's gun of the story where it's like, who's this giant dude? Like, what's, <laughs> And he even says, he's like, the reason I was given this task is because I was really tall. That's the only reason yeah. he was given this. He gives that whole monologue with such sincerity that like, it doesn't come off as a bit, but it comes off like he has been waiting beyond the time of the game to tell you this, which mm -hmm. is a really great moment. One thing that I found really interesting that neither of y'all... Um, brought up is that Eric Satie's Gymnopedia number one is playing yeah, under this man. monologue. Yeah. <laughs> like the whole they just bring in a like a classical piece. Yeah. For I the love thing. it. And it it's it's like the really I don't want to get too like whimsical about it, but the really interesting thing about them picking that piece as opposed to writing their own is the fact that it's familiar. Yeah. Like it, it's a, a thing that we all know in in the real world. Mm. And like them playing that under this like, hey, your world ended is pretty gnarly. It almost yeah. feels like the game is positioning the player themselves to be like the agent of the old world. You know, it's like, can you help this new place restore what you already lost right, in a weird exactly. way? Exactly. 
I also never noticed that, like, in all my times playing this game, I was always playing it as a teen, so I never really picked up on the fact that there not only was everyone's memories wiped, but there were also false memories implanted about the island they came to. Right. Like, they were told, oh yeah, there was like a king at Osohe Castle, and Kumatora was the princess. That was all made up. And like, literally, like, not made up, like, by the writers of the game, but like, made up within the world. Well, you gotta play 13 Sentinels if you haven't, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I have it, it's sitting on my shelf. Once I finish Persona 5 Royal. That's the next thing. Okay. That's a good lineup. You're going to have a good time. <laughs> oh Let me know God. how it is. I'm so excited for you to text us about 13 Sentinels. <laughs> <I'll be texting laughs> you about Mother 3. I can't wait. Yo, I, I hate this guy. I can't believe Lord Passion is selling the hamburgers. <laughs> there is one moment of, of uh, 13 Sentinels where like you have to talk to a cat and it's like weirdly, it feels like incorrect. It, like It's hard <laughs> to progress. Anyway, it's a great game. We got a bonus about that game. Don't worry. So, so anyway, what follows the story of Lee is you go, try and go, you know, just <laughs> classically back through the, the sewers that took you there. And uh, hey, there's a boss. His name is Miracle Facade. Miracle Facade. What's even worse is to cement your frustration is that because I had this exact moment. Like you have this amazing moment with Leader. The music changes to get you pumped up. And he's like, you got to go storm the Empire Pork Building or whatever it's called. Like That is it. That's the name of it. Yeah. Go to floor 100. Take out Porky. Pull the last needle before it's too late. So you're like running to this like Rocky music. <laughs> and then Miracle Facade like comes out of shit. Like, like <laughs> sewer water. Just no save point. Because the game up until this exact moment, the game is pretty good at giving you a save point before a boss until now. <laughs> and then suddenly Miracle Facade shows up with like 18 trumpets in his nose. And it's the hardest boss in the entire game. <laughs> um, and, and I don't blame you for that's where you tapped out, right, Brendan? Emotionally, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Will. Uh, emotionally. <laughs> That's where I tapped out. Yeah, I, I had just come off this high, as you were saying, and then immediately ran into this boss who kicked my ass thoroughly multiple, multiple times. Every time you die, you go back to the last hot spring you were at, which is still in the sewers that you were at, but is between like there are like seven or eight enemies between that hot spring and mm -hmm. Miracle Facade. And, and you're on such a narrow pathway that you can't even avoid them. Uh, and you're not at least I wasn't a high enough level to the point where I would be able to like sprint through and knock them away which meant that I had to fight all those enemies every single time on my way to facade and then every time he showed up there would be that whole cutscene where the interpreter tries to interpret what they're saying which takes like at least two real actual minutes which like doesn't sound like a lot but you know five times into that boss fight it sure is a lot <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought it was terrible so I I mean I, I won't get into like the specifics of why the boss is bad except that when you are when he is almost dead he starts eating luxury bananas which give him <laughs> 600 health back every single time which is like unbelievable it's just an unbelievable thing is every turn he's allowed to go twice and he always gets 600 health back and i i was incapable of doing it and, and it, it really got to the point where i did it for like an hour and a half to two hours and was like this is i can't i can't do it i don't want to but I did it anyway because I wanted to see what would happen next. And I, w I wanted to beat the game before we recorded today. But that boss took so much time that I literally wasn't able to finish the game in time. Friends, it was like watching a man die being live texted by Brendan about this boss battle. 
Dude, it was such a bummer, man. I, I <laughs> it was so hard. And again, I mean, I'm I'm a I we record a video game podcast. I play a lot of video games. I play a lot of like RPGs with turn-based combat and I like I am far enough in this game that I'm towards the end. Like I should know how this works, but I I just couldn't do it. It got to the point where I was level 61. <laughs> oh my god. Cuz I was grinding against all the all the enemies in the fucking sewer to try and beat facade. <laughs> and I got to level 61 and still almost died. Lucas was the only one alive when I beat facade. <gasps> Oh man! Ugh. So yeah, miracle facade. Um, <laughs> he's. <laughs> it is the last time you fight facade. Yeah, <laughs> so at least he's back on for it. There's a lot to be said about facade's character. That's hard to say when you resent <laughs> his existence. Right. Oh man, that that boss battle sucks, especially when you don't have the shield snatcher that no one tells you about. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing was I kept going on forums and they were like, all right, start with the shield snatcher and then you're like, good to go, man. It's like, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> fuck me. Hey, you know that item you didn't get three chapters ago? Well, yeah. you need that. Unbelievable. But what follows is basically like Porky taunting you as you climb the tower and then yeah. you finally get to the very top. And Wait, can we talk it, about the tower a little bit? Because I, I did play the sure. tower. Yeah, I, got, the tower I, I got through is... pretty much almost all of the tower, but the tower is incredible. Like there's a whole, so he, he's like, you got to get to floor 100 and then it keeps saying you're at floor 100 but it's like just different shit every single time you go um so there's one that's like a spa that's for hippos uh which is like really great and the hippos don't attack you unless you attack them which i also thought was really great but when they do attack you they sure shoot rockets out of their mouths (laughs) Um, and what follows that is you end up in uh another version of floor 100 that's all bathrooms uh the whole thing my favorite part of the game straight up like really yeah it's 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 the best here go for it what What's going There's, on in the bathrooms? Uh, okay. I kind of glossed over the last DCMC show where Oh my yeah. they, God. How the hell did I forget? Yeah, Sorry. I, have, I am such a... I love DCMC more than I love this game. They're incredible. <laughs> I love them so much. They do a concert for real that isn't propaganda. Yeah, they, not that's like only cut do they, short by Porky. Not only do they do a concert that's not propaganda, they, Brendan had touched on earlier the fact that they were playing Porky's theme, like they were playing propaganda and like, yeah. yeah. And they own up to and acknowledge that and then play Duster's theme from chapter two. Oh my oh, god, great. I didn't even catch that. That's yeah. amazing. Like they play it, it, it's like five minutes too. It's like yeah. it's like a, it's full like a really concert. long time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's great. Incredible. And then as uh Brent uh, Steven said, they get cut off when uh Porky cuts the power himself. And we started sending yeah. floors. There's the hippo floor, as Brendan said. There's a floor where we walk past a really gross, like like uh fucking brothel where Porky's oh, like yeah. concubines all hang out and like talk about how much they love him. There's an O2 machine there just to rub salt in the wound of how shitty that was but he's a centaur this time instead of a merman and then next is the bathroom floor the bathroom floor is my favorite floor my favorite part of the game because you're just like in throughout the game there are bathrooms everywhere and you knock on the door and people are like hey go fuck yourself kid i'm in the bathroom like constantly and then there's just like at one point there is a save frog in one of those bathrooms and you knock on the door and he's like hop save your game and it's really precious yeah it's like and oh this I, can, is I like- can save your game even from in here i think he says yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's a love letter to bathrooms you walk through there's giant toilets and tiny toilets and duck toilets you walk in my my favorite dialogue in the game is you walk into one bathroom and there's a man sitting inside and he's like hey uh how can i help you? Wait, wait a minute what are you doing in here get out of here all in a big group no less like yeah. just <laughs> 
four people stormed into his bathroom while he's taking a shit. And he's like, wait a minute. I don't have to be. Get out of here. Then there's one where it's all the ghosts from the castle. And he's like, they're all like, yeah, we used to party in the castle. Then Porky put us all in this one room. (laughs) uh, It's also also where the ultimate chimera returns. Yeah. Which is so nerve wracking. It killed me three times. With a great item in there too. It killed you? It killed me three times. Yeah. In the bathroom? Yeah. Oh my God. But then I got the awesome ring, so it was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a good ring in there. Oh. <laughs> uh, my favorite floor, I, I think the last floor of the bathroom hall is like you walk up and then like eight people just run into bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just the perfect heightening of a joke. Like it, it, it just, it's, it's really like the game showing off its comedic chops. Uh, it's really great. Especially like before one of the most harrowing moments in the game, you get this like fun bathroom farce right before you know uh requiem for a dream i guess yeah Uh, and then you you end up at like a big golden toilet essentially which is like clearly just for porky (laughs) and statues of porky peeing like a cherub yeah um the uh. the best little details the fact that the toilet says this looks like it's been used recently yeah (laughs) um and then does anyone want to take the next floor because i think it's pretty important uh is it just Um, the construction stuff no it's the last magic drag queen. Uh, oh, it's all you, man. I think yeah. I think you have the most knowledge and of the lore and, and of the characters here. So go for it. So um, there were seven of them, the magic drag queens. Throughout the game, they all allude to one of them just completely going missing. And you enter this floor and there is a conch shell. All their homes are conch shells. And you walk into the room and facade's clothing is there. Uh, there, are lo- there are bananas everywhere and there are horns on the couch in the middle of the room and you it's like if it wasn't obvious already at that point it is revealed that facade was the last uh magical drag queen that sold the rest of them out to porky yeah it, that that it did hit hard because i think like the, again they've been the guiding force for the whole journey and like i can i think it's actually interesting that they don't ever really reveal facade's motivation but i can only help but think that like one of them would act in some some form of self-preservation, you know, because they've all kind of accepted that when the needles are pulled, they will disappear and move on. Yeah. But like of the seven of them, one would be kind of the Judas to that and be like, fuck it, I'm going to live on. Or if this world is going to get destroyed, I'm going to play a part in it just to have some semblance of control. Yeah. Um, That's I think it's read. actually yeah. very purposeful that they don't tell you. I think it's actually more interesting that they don't say like, there isn't a facade monologue where they're like, after years, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just, you can fill in the blanks. And I think it's also brilliant that they don't say it, but they just show you through the environment. Yeah. It, it really, really well done. I was so fucking mad at facade that I was like, hell yeah, they're dead. I get all their bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think the like, I most, gave them all like, to Boney and then I made my way. <laughs> <laughs> the most insult to injury part of that was um, it was it, not only that it touched on what y'all said earlier, which is um, people in the town of Tasmania saying, well, if I can get my own, then it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. That is what Facade did. Yeah. Like, took all the banana bribes. But also the fact that there was a mouse on that floor that was like, where's Facade? Is Facade coming home? Yeah. Or like is Locria, which was their name. Yeah coming home and like you're like wow this there was sucks. one creature facade had a has semblance of their humanity with yeah um, as all of them did mask. like every right. one of the magical drag queens had like a character or uh, a creature that they cared about like for mixolydia it was ocho the octopus for ionia right. it was alec and lucas and klaus right yeah 
It's just they all cared about something. <laughs> Sorry, one way I I just remembered one of my favorite visual gags is uh when when the octopus is like, well, uh, I guess I'll take you back to Tasmalee, you know, so you could, you could get back to the beach. I've never had anybody like ride on me before, so I don't really know how this is gonna go. And then they turn around and they have the word taxi written on their back. <laughs> <laughs> was so funny. And they say, hold on, even though there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah. <laughs> like, Boney literally slips on Ocho's back. Yeah. Oh, my God. Boney's also like, I love how Boney through the whole game just says, like, arf, arf, or woof, woof. But then, like, in text is like, it'll say what he's communicating. Just incredible character. I love Boney. Yeah. I, I do like, there's a moment with Alec. No, no, no. With Wes, Dusty's father, where he, it's like, I guess earlier on where he's like, still putting up this kind of grumpy front and he says hello to the group and he's like hello you and he's like that was to bony like he like, <laughs> yeah. like specifies that, that was for bony um incredible yeah so pure um, um i believe the next floor is as you said the construction site yeah it's the construction site um is there anything to say about that there is a mean- really funny gag where like they tell you like whatever you do don't tackle the construction workers and you have to, to like make them a bridge right like, yeah <laughs> you tackle into them and then they fall and they like hold on to both sides so you can walk across them there's one that's like a like Blue overly complicated machine. yeah exactly <laughs> yes exactly where like <laughs> you like bump into someone and like, they go flying and like fall down like two things hit each other and then then it makes like a small bridge <laughs> it, it made me laugh it was a really good gag uh after, after that was the laboratory which uh which I, I think the the big thing there is that there's like some kind of like poisoned hot spring water that like kind of brainwashes people into thinking that they love porky but i don't does that really like i i want to highlight something yeah please do that. <clears throat> that is a feature in every mother game oh there's like a uh mind mind warp like brainwashing hot spring tube in every mother game oh. so i think the reason that's there is just like tradition <laughs> It was also like it was it it, it hit me when like you walk through a hall and like it's the first time you see human beings in tubes, you know, like you've Mm -hmm. seen animals and stuff and it's always been disturbing. But like it's the first time you're you're seeing visual evidence that they are messing with people, you know, yeah, it's it's very haunting. Yeah. Um, Uh, But that leads you to uh, the game show. Oh, yeah. Fuck the game show. (laughs) The game show is bad. So like, wait, really? I love the game show. So, okay, um, I was so thematically. The game show makes perfect sense for Porky's character. Yes, it's like literally everyone needs yes. to indulge him constantly. He needs to not only win, but win just enough where he's like just barely better than you, so you can rub it in your face. Yeah, I, it's like they're interesting mini games, but like mechanically, it's not the best. Like it's not. I really thought it was fun. so f- okay. So just I guess to like <laughs> explain what happens here a little bit. So the first, so you do a game show which has three mini games in it that you have to like go up against a, like a Porky robot essentially, and and the first one is like a whack a mole and and the porky robot goes first and gets 10 of them and then you're given some time for your turn uh which ends up like for me at least i hit like 21 moles or something (laughs) uh and then they were like no 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 no. you don't understand what's happening here you got to try again so then i was like okay let me get 10 also because if like porky robot got 10 then i'll also get 10 and then i got 10 they're like you still don't understand what's happening here so then i got like zero next i just like stood there and then they're like no you have to try a little bit you don't understand so then i i I was just like kind of fucking around and I there's like a person in the corner who's just holding a cue card and the cue card was just like why don't you hit nine I was like okay sure and I went and hit nine and they were like oh yeah you won by just
just a hair and immediately it all like clicked for me it was like oh i get exactly what's happening here so then the next is the next one the race i think the next one's the race right uh, yes it is yeah so the, the next one you have to like walk on these like big pink planks over a body of water that has like cardboard cutouts of like sharks and alligators jumping out of the water and the porky robot is going so slowly over it even though there's like actually no danger at all and you literally just have to sit there and wait for it to get all the way to the end of the bridge and then right as it steps onto the the like final uh the the finish line as soon as it takes that step you have to do it so like you are literally one step behind i thought that was so funny uh it's well done it it just it it came to me at a moment where like we were like a half hour away from having to record (laughs) and i was like can we just move on to the finale please (laughs) i had very much emotionally and mentally given up so i was like this is fine this is how i'll spend my last moments playing mother (laughs) three before we record (laughs) then there's a third one there's a balloon it doesn't really matter but then you fight a boss and that's where i stop playing um so I want to say for one that I really appreciated in those mini games how during the race you literally have time to go talk to everyone and they're all like this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. right. <laughs> and Boney are all like this is fucking nonsense but whatever I guess. So yeah, that minigame happens, and then we meet the natural killer cyborg. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's a boss before like Porky's real room. Yeah, which like I I was again following this fan gamer guide, and I saw how much health it had, and I was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yeah. call it here. I don't, but it honestly isn't too bad. It's like it's just sort of a longer fight than it is like a difficult also, one. The music's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but once you beat that, you're in Porky's room. Hey, and there's something show- right before that that oh, is important it. to highlight. Okay. Um, right after you beat the natural killer cyborg, there's a really long hallway. And while you're running through the hallway, the opening theme of Mother One plays. Oh, that's cool. I did like the long hallway. I remember yeah. that distinctly. It's like literally just you walk through a hallway in step with the opening theme of the first game. Give me and a then, long hallway before a big boss and it's going to work. I guarantee. Yeah. You know, always. Any it's game. great. Super Mario 64. Yeah. <laughs> Give me an infinite time, staircase. All of them got it. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and then immediately after that, there is an earthbound museum. Yes. You go yes. on a little ferry that's Ness's house. And then and you... actually, even before this, in the movie theater, they're playing like the movie they're playing is the is events earthbound. earthbound. Yeah. 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 So it kind of it's... cements what you said earlier, Brendan, of like Porky's kind of obsession with Ness and with that story. And the thing is, like, it's not even like Porky's making it like, oh, he was the good guy. He's just showing the events that actually happened. Yeah. So like... <laughs> You can tell that if there's anything he actually cares about, it's that and it's also over. You know, the nature of this game being a sequel to Earthbound and the events of those games being over even in the in-game universe kind of adds like more tragedy to Porky's like patheticness, you know? Um, I thought it served really well as like both thematically the end of the series like going through mm. the opening of mother one and then the museum of mother two it's also for the player too yeah because yeah. you're like just enjoying it as a fan and then also like to really highlight how obsessed porky was with ness and his adventure absolutely and then you get to uh the final room uh, i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up but yeah you get to the final room and then um porky throws another robot at you and you're fighting like waves of porky robots that are constantly blowing up and it's a test of endurance as you warned me um <laughs> And guess who shows up to save the day? You guessed it. It's DCMC. I <laughs> screamed. Like, it was as if I saw the Beatles in 1960. I was just like, oh my God. They're like, yeah, we're here to save the day. And like, you see how much damage. The, it's like in battle. You see how much damage each member is doing before they say like a catchphrase. Incredible. And I just, that's what I meant before, you know, when we first brought them up, like this rejection of like artists rejecting 
uh, the dictator, it happens in this moment. Maybe not earlier, but it happens in this moment. And not only DCMC, but also all the townspeople who you've met and who you probably like, like know by name show up slowly but surely uh, behind you. It's a little bit too late, and that's the other kind of yeah, tragedy. Like, is like <laughs> it took this long. It took you to get to New Pork City to realize this is a bad idea. Bronson was there. It's like the dude tanning on the beach. Is like, what, right. are, what are you doing here, bud? You Flint just, is there. You too. laid down. Flint says like it's over, and then Porky reveals his true self he's like this this very it's almost like mr house in new vegas it's like this incredibly aged body in like a preserved capsule and like a machine that has like spider legs and he can't stop coughing and he has traveled through time and space so often and so like irregularly that it's like aged him beyond his actual age so it goes into this idea of like this godlike being that still has a a immature child's mindset that like never had that chance to grow up that Ness and Lucas got, you know, Lucas goes from being a crybaby to being like the chosen one. And Porky is still the exact same guy. He was at the very beginning of earthbound, if not worse, uh, definitely worse based on what he's yeah. done. And it's, it's a little arguable whether he's <laughs> worse or not. He's, he's got, pretty bad at the end of earthbound based on the things he has committed, like the, the actions he has committed in that game to those people. He is at least indirectly responsible for Lucas's mother dying and the state of the town and like everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I would true. say he's a worse person than like an annoying next door neighbor. Um, but he shows up and he's like my slave, you know, which is alluded to being Klaus, uh, is going to pull the final needle and that's that I'm done with this. I'm bored. I want to, you know, I want to end reality. I'm tired. So actually there's a great scene too, where like right after that, he's like, you can take the elevator, but I'm going to get a head start. And you take an elevator, but it's like for the last like three hours, you've been going up and up and up this building. And then suddenly it's like at least a two minute shot of Flint, Kumatora, Lucas, Boney, and Duster all like midair, like in this red elevator that's like skyrocketing down. And they're all like display. It's like you're going to hell. It's, yeah, like, it's like a tower just- of terror. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's, it, it reminds me of the uh, Evangelion elevator scene where it's like so long that you like feel uncomfortable, but then it comes around and like actually works as a scene. Like you yeah. talked about Brendan. <laughs> and the fact that that was pulled off on a Game Boy Advance, like that yeah. the tension of going down like an elevator at like 900 miles an hour on a Game Boy Advance is really gnarly. So then you get to this kind of like, you know, you're in an area that looks like a dragon has been sleeping in for the past 300 years. What follows is your encounter with Porky, uh, one-on-one, no longer a robotic clone that blows up or wants to win by a small margin in whack-a-mole. You guessed it. It is the Porky that has been traveling through time and is in a capsule. And when you beat him, and I know, Will, you have a lot of thoughts on this. I'm excited to hear you. (laughs) When you beat Porky, he basically tells you through the whole battle, he's like, I can't die, just so you know. Like, you can't ever beat me. By the end of the battle, his, his like, machinery breaks. And he's like, okay, my machinery is temporarily broken. In the meantime, I'm going to hang out in this thing called the Absolutely Safe Capsule. And I'm just going to, like, regroup in there. And then I'll be back out and I'll kick your ass. <laughs> uh, so he goes in the Absolutely Safe Capsule. And the battle continues for a bit. And you have to, like... You know, you're prompted to attack and you can't do anything. And he's like sticking his tongue out at you inside the capsule. Uh, and then it cuts out. And then um, what was the doctor's name? Uh, Dr. Andonuts. Dr. Andonuts. Uh, Jeff's comes in. father from Earthbound. Oh, amazing. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. That's awesome. That's so cool. Jeff's father shows up and he's like, 
He's like, oh, as awful as Porky was, I actually feel really bad for him. Me and the Mr. Saturns made that capsule, the absolutely safe capsule. But basically what it means is that when you go inside it, you are absolutely safe, but you can never leave it. So like you're kind of just stuck in there for the rest of time. You can never die. You can never be hurt. You're just stuck in this one place for eternity. And he's like, do you think Porky deserves that? I said, yes. And he's like, I don't know. Maybe not. But he's like, do you want to roll him around for a bit? Don't worry. He's absolutely <laughs> safe. And he just starts like rolling around Porky. But that is like, I think it would be so simple to just defeat Porky. I think giving Porky what he wants is weirdly the cruelest fate. To give him eternal life completely by himself. Yeah. Uh, he said he wants to be in a world where everyone who doesn't like him is gone. He's got it, man. He's in the capsule by himself. It, it's a cruel fate, but I think it's very fitting. And I think it's also like kind of disturbing that no matter what happens, in the world whether it's remade with the dragon or whatever porky is still going to be around you know in the cosmos somewhere and he's not a threat but he's just going to be there which is like really haunting but also kind of disturbing it's it's truly like every time i play the game and get to that point it doesn't stop terrifying like the thought of being regardless of whether it's what the character would want the thought of being alone in a ball for eternity is terrifying. It is, I'm what, I don't, there are a lot of people out there who like think being immortal is cool. And I think being immortal is one of the scariest fates possible. Yeah. Play yeah. Sekiro, you'll change your that. mind. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every Dark Souls game is about how immortality is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you want like maybe the best ever writing on why being immortal sucks, uh, go uh, read Tuck Everlasting. I'm just kidding uh go play uh <laughs> lost odyssey on the xbox yeah. 360 now available yeah, yeah. on xbox series s um honestly some of the most like thought-provoking writing on why immortality is the worst fucking curse of all time <laughs> i get um so there's that the fact that it's like the most harrowing shit on earth the fact that like he did get what he wants and it's the worst but maybe based on who he is as a character and who he has been as a character it seems like a fitting fate and also he'd be happy um, yeah weirdly enough it's like would he that's the big question is like because he he doesn't seem scared he's sticking his tongue out at you even in the epilogue from the absolutely safe capsule yeah. so like he might have actually gotten what he wants but just you know independent of reality uh, which I is also interesting. Have another really absurd fan theory lay it um, on me lay, that's, a, that's why we had you on this episode come on <laughs> my absurd fan theory is that Porky spends so long floating through time and space in absolute safety that he reverts to an infantile state and then in his pod he is found by aliens and raised by George and Maria, Nintendo's great grandparents from Mother One, is essentially reborn as Gigu and then over the course of the remainder of the series becomes Gigas. Oh my god. This is like in this immortal And then becomes Gigas embodiment of evil and is released by himself and then explodes into distortion and dies. That's a great fan That's, theory. I actually really like that. Yeah, there's nothing defending that. Like, there's no, like, <laughs> little subtle plot thing that's thrown in to for like there's a lot with ionia and alec that like kind of alludes to the fact that maybe there's a history there yeah but there's not much <laughs> this, this is just like me that's fun i think it's good <laughs> do so, you uh, think that a, do you think that that ending for porky sets up a mother four because that that was kind of my thought so, so like i guess full disclosure i watched the ending like i watched like I, I stopped playing at a certain point and then like watched the rest on youtube before recording and my first thought was like, this is set up for a sequel where Porky is able to somehow get out of this absolute 
safe room thing. Yeah, possibly. I, if the writers of so there is a an ongoing Mother Four fan project over the past decade that's recently been rewritten as a new game. I think yeah, it's called Oddity but, now. Yeah, it looks they fucking incredible, to... and it's coming out for the Nintendo Switch. By the way, what? Yeah, that's something I didn't know. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> um, good to know, listeners. Hey, go play Oddity. But um, that would be really cool. I think I almost like I, I would love to see a follow up in this series. But I also think that like it's better if he's just stuck in there. You know, I, I just think like I totally agree. I just yeah, I, I felt in the moment that that was set up for something else. Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe it's because I work for a comic book company. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine finds the capsules like what's this bub? <laughs> anyway, what follows that is the moment everyone's waiting for. Uh, who's stronger, Lucas or Klaus? No, but you go confront the masked man, your brother. Actually, worth noting, Flint, your father, is like, let me go first. And as you're approaching Porky, you see his cowboy hat fly in the wind. And you're like, God damn it. I can't handle Flint dying too. This is too much. <laughs> and you see him and, and Flint just says, like, I, I'm, I really appreciate the script doesn't act like the masked man being Klaus is shocking. You know, like they assume you already figured it out. Well, and you would have figured it out by chapter five, I believe, because literally Lucas walks up to the Clayman factory and they're like, master, oh snap, what are you doing not in uniform? Yeah, it's you. Right. Like, it's obvious, like from the get. Yeah, it's very obvious. And and Flint just says, matter of factly, he's like, the masked man is your brother. We found him, you know, be grateful, but like, make sure you pull that needle first. So you go and you confront the mass man who you you have a badge that deflects all lightning um worth noting the uh, franklin another, badge which is a smash item the franklin badge not only an item in smash but also prevalent in every earthbound game it is oh. an item you get in every game oh that's cool but yeah you confront the mass man he does a move that wipes out your entire party except for lucas because you deflect the lightning actually i kept trying to revive my party mates because i didn't know if it was like for sure a one-on-one -on -one battle and whenever you do he casts lightning again so it's like okay point taken mass man <laughs> and basically the battle th this 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 scene is simultaneously like one of the best scenes in the game and also frustrating because <laughs> you basically just have to survive for long enough for the story to play out, which again, I think this is another like Toby Fox was like, huh, can I make a game out of this? Because like this is the, the what is the benefit of not fighting? Can you have the same thrill of a battle and progress the story in a way that is peaceful. Yeah. And also goes back. It really goes right back to how Klaus and Lucas dealt with their mother's death. The masked man, Klaus, is constantly attacking, relentlessly attacking. And all Lucas can do is heal himself and guard, which I love. I love that. But the fact you've got to be very, it took me two or three tries to be savvy enough with my uh, magic points that I didn't run out and then just die and have to do the whole thing over again, which like does such a disservice to the moment because it's so good. But basically, like as as you're just defending yourself and healing and guarding as you're being attacked, you start to hear Hinawa's voice and she's calling out to both of you to stop fighting and trying to remind Klaus who he is and eventually it cuts to a scene where there are two like baby uh, cribs next to each other and 
it's it's seemingly a dialogue between Flint and Hinoa talking about how they've been blessed with two kids and what they're going to be like when they grow up and if they're going to argue or help each other and and you know it's 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 devastating. It's like brutal, but the whole time I was worried I'm like do I have to do this again? <laughs> Cuz like <laughs> I already tried twice. Um and and thankfully not cuz eventually what happens is he starts to attack for less and there's a really just incredible moment where he finally removes the mask and it says uh the masked man took off his mask he looks just like you it's klaus and then he casts like a lightning spell purposely to kill himself uh and it's just devastating like it, it is so oh my god i mean that 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 moment is up there i mean we, we, we've highlighted a lot of moments in this game that are, are why people talk about mother three with such like high reverence and it's not just because it's sad I mean, that that's the biggest thing i want to drill is like I played a lot of games that are inspired by Undertale and by Mother 3 and Earthbound, you know, and, and these types of RPGs that are like able to so successfully be goofy, but also wear their heart on their sleeve. And the wrong lesson to take is that they make you feel bad. You know, it's like that is not why people love these games. They are exploring really, really heavy themes in in a very successful way. Um, and there's guilt. Guilt is a part of it, but I think it literally goes back again to how they deal with grief. Klaus is constantly, relentlessly going forward, and Lucas actually, at a certain point near the end of that fight, no matter what you tell him to do, he just starts crying. Uh, he goes back to being a crybaby after all this time. He goes back to who he was before he got these powers. I found that moment to be breathtaking and just like so sad, but so powerful. And I also read that as not, I, I kind of read them as brothers as being more metaphorical of like the whole game is kind of this battle of ideology. You know, if you want to read this game as like, how do you deal with grief? And the Lucas route overpowered the Klaus one, you know, the route in which you confront your emotions and you go take the hard path where you may suffer more, but you're going to connect with other people because you're actually cognizant of the world around you and the people in your life and those connections. You're not trying to fill this void in your life with artificial sustenance and literally wearing blinders. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think that's what makes that scene so beautiful. Not because you lose your brother, but because you lose the part of you that was holding you back in some ways. It's a tragedy. It's It's not meant to be any kind of conquering, but I did read it as like as Klaus's ideology versus Lucas's in some ways. Um, and I, I just thought that ending and what follows with the world being kind of uh, destroyed. There, there's a great moment where, you know, when you pull the needle, there's volcanoes and tornadoes and sea storms. And you hear the porky theme. You see a blimp trying to take off and just gets hit by an asteroid <laughs> like it just, or by, you know, some kind of ruled. Yeah. Yeah. It it's so like, you can't, you can't get out of this asshole. Um, <laughs> That that whole sequence was just like incredible, and I really really loved. Uh, actually, I'll pause there because I want to hear what you two thought of that before we move on to the epilogue. But I think that the ending like is so worth it. You know, it really like as much as we've criticized this game for being uh, weirdly difficult in moments and and uh, having issues with the narrative and and you know its various blind spots. I'm not going to say that those issues aren't enough to make you not want to play it. And I think honestly there are really valid reasons to not want to play this game or to not enjoy it. But I think that when you judge it just by the highs of highs, like it's, it's hard to compare to other games. Like I can see why people love it so much based on just like moments like this and chapter four and the campfire scene, just incredible. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want uh, Brendan and I just looked at each other like. <laughs> um, so I, you you encapsulated pretty well. <laughs> encapsulated what? Ow, absolutely I safe. Of, what I think of the ending very well. I uh, as I've grown, I've had my feelings on the game have definitely weighed more towards the actual epilogue than the ending itself. Mm. But I really did appreciate the way that like. Like what you said about the methods of conquering grief, like becoming either entirely empty or actually embracing it and living with it. Um, it reminded me a lot of the film The Babadook. Spoilers for the film The Babadook. Yeah. But, um, at, over the course of the film, they're trying to fight back their grief and ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. But in the end, they learn to live with it and be content with it, as content as you can be with it. And I thought that lesson of this game was very important. Like learning to live with what you've lost and like looking in the eyes one last time. Get, and we all envy the chance to be able to look in the eyes what we've lost one last time before actually saying goodbye like Lucas does with Klaus. Absolutely, but, yeah. Um, and also I really appreciated that Flint was entirely absent throughout most of the game, but eventually learns that what he needs to do is be there for you in the very end. Yeah, and he takes a so, blow, like a oh killing my God. blow yeah. for you. He Darth like, Vader's Luke man. Flint jumps in front of you and takes a killing blow. I guessed when, because there's a moment where, where Klaus uses... Uh, PK Love, if you didn't name what your favorite thing is, I made music, which weirdly, PK Music felt like on brand for oh, what yeah. the game is going for. But... um yeah, that moment was devastating. I think it's also like it's worth pointing out that like we mentioned the like really rough scene with Lucas and like the implied assaults when he gains his powers for the first time. But there otherwise seems to be a close connection between like characters faced with their own mortality and then gaining powers. Like the moment where Kumatora gets PK Starstorm, Eonia like summons a bolt of lightning that like almost kills her. Yeah. And that that was enough for me to read like, okay, like what actually happened was probably Lucas being close to drowning. But it's still it's still implied in a way that is really rough. So I'm not excusing that scene in any way. But I do think that like the lightning bolt and the fact that whenever Kumatora or Lucas level up they start to feel feverish before they develop their new powers it's like they all have to go through that to come through the other side and and that that point is kind of drilled home by this encounter with klaus i think i agree yeah I, that's a really interesting note that's like absent in earthbound but present in mother three is that they actually in earthbound you just level up and get your powers right but in mother three every character goes through something like for example when lucas learns pk flash she also gets struck by lightning and like almost dies oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i, I thought that, that was really cool too but uh yeah so um klaus takes his own life because he's like really overcome with all the shit he's done yeah and the game ends something that i noticed this time that i never noticed before is when lucas goes up to pull the final needle if you say no he just pulls it anyway there's no like continued really? dialogue and that's there's the no thing. like are you sure there's no like you got to do this it's just he does it anyway so so here's the point i wanted to make in terms of i think brandon and i were talking either on or off air about how like there's one or two moments in this game where like it feels like toby fox is like what if i made a game about that and that was undertale <laughs> to me it's the epilogue because the separation but like we said whenever you play as a character there's silent protagonist and it shifts perspective but lucas never has a voice you know until the epilogue where suddenly 
you are absent from everyone. It says, this is also a frustrating moment. It says end question mark. And I had messaged you. Well, I was like, is this like a near automata thing where I have to like restart? Like, what is this? Uh, <laughs> Do I have and, to put my controller in port two and like try and. Yeah, <laughs> right. I waited yeah. and I pushed every button and I was like, it's, did it freeze? What is this? You have to take the cartridge out and then put the Sonic advance cartridge in. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stop and swap it, Steven. <laughs> And then I, I, I bumped against the control. I, I moved the control stick and it was or the D-pad and it was like, ow. And then you're just walking through the dark talking to every character in the game. And it's beautiful. This, it is this such to a me was epilogue. the Undertale moment. This was like. Yeah, that's, that's what I feel exactly right. Because suddenly it's like the player is their own entity and then there's everyone else in the game. Yeah. Specifically this idea, at least in the epilogue, that like. Okay, so the world is remade, but the characters live on, you know, even though the game has technically ended and you get to like check in with all these people on their way out and on your way out specifically. And like, I I, I think the 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 main takeaway I had, at least, and I'm sorry to say, like the ending didn't resonate with me as much because like I was a extremely frustrated at myself and at the video game and like B had to watch it on YouTube. So like it didn't (laughs) really hit me the way that I wish that it had, unfortunately. Um, Yeah, but but this moment still I thought was like really powerful. It, 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 at least the implication to me was this idea that like these characters live on as long as you continue to like talk about them and continue to go back and play the game repeatedly um, and like that is Undertale that is what Undertale yeah, is the yeah. video game and it's it feels like Toby Fox took like literally played this game watched the 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 uh, post credits epilogue stuff happen and was like that is a video game um, yeah. and then and, <laughs> and then, he was right and yeah. made yeah and made like I, I think you know kind of an instant classic um, but I I just love this idea that like hey you know not only have we just created this like extremely good narrative experience that you can you know make your way through uh, at your leisure but the literal like final note at the end of it is that you know this is a, a kind of a tale as old as time just told in a different way and you should go and like recite this same tale to others um in the same way the three of us are doing on the podcast uh which i i, <laughs> I think is really nice um it, it's it was it was cool to like check in with all those people on the way out it was weird that it said a different name than mine because it was on youtube but uh you know. <laughs> um, you know i was like steven hilger is here i was like oh hell yeah yeah I, yeah <laughs> And then there's a there's a credit sequence that does all the characters first. And what what's really nice is like it ends with Klaus and Lucas together. Yeah. It's like a really nice like positive beat to end an otherwise pretty heavy ending. Yeah. I couldn't believe when it was like cast. I was like, what? Was there voice acting in this game? What the fuck are you doing? And then, and then <laughs> it's, it's like, just oh, no, the Okazaka okay. guy like by yeah. himself. <laughs> I, th- I think it, it shows a lot of the game's intention that the the credits show all the characters before the people who actually worked on the game. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's like a staff credits after. And of, of course, you know, equally, if not more important, but like definitely more important <laughs> but the the way the narrative plays out they like want to give that curtain call to the actual cast like you said these characters live as long as they remain in your head in some way yeah yeah a really uh really beautiful ending to to a great game that has a lot of flaws but i'm glad i finally played it i don't want to um come in here with an extreme downer but i got home from a pretty sad thing on thursday and i finished this game like i was at the last save frog right before i went here and i heard the i played the epilogue and lucas said hey other world be good to will and it just snapped me in half Oh, like it man. was like, yeah. as an adult, hearing someone be like, I hope your world is good to you is, is really fucking hard <laughs> because it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially confronted with 
everything we've gone through in the past year and you know plus i would say but specifically the past year that's that's a rough that's a rough note man yeah that epilogue, like as a kid i was like thanks thanks lucas i'll i'll try but like as an adult i'm like wow this is, i i need i needed that to hear yeah. someone wishing me well on the other side yeah and i i did and it was and i i think uh, the last like two or three times I played this game, I didn't cry at the end, but this time I did again because of that. Yeah. I teared up. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a really you know it's it just it's just so uh, again I don't know if this is like a autobiographic experience at all. I mean, in terms of just like losing a parent or not, but it just feels so emotionally emotionally vulnerable that like it can't help but resonate with people in different ways. Like we said at the top of the episode, that moment hit you hard. Like there's going to be a moment that's going to hit everyone differently. And I think that's the strength of like a really great game. You know, despite everything we brought up, I think the fact that that game is like open to be experienced in that way is like really awesome. And, and you don't see that very often. Our friends Adam and, and Dom do a podcast about movies where they try to find like the scene that sums up the movie. And I, I guarantee everyone would have a different moment for this game if they tried to do the same. You know, like what is the scene of Mother 3 that sums it up? To me, it's the beginning of chapter four. I think it's yeah. like literally Lucas seeing Tasmali as like a Reagan era capitalist hell. <laughs> 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 um, but uh that also only covers so many things about the game i think that like there are other moments too that that mean just much but like on a more personal level but i think for what the game is trying to like warn the player about it's that moment um because i think that like new pork city is is visually dystopian and even though like getting there is this exciting moment it is it is remarkable that they could show you tasmali as it is in chapter four and that be disturbing because it would just be normal in a different game. You know, that's the thing what I find most remarkable in earthbound even. Yeah, exactly. What is your, <laughs> Oh my God. I don't want to make this a podcast crossover. No, that was, that, that was mine. Also. Uh, yeah. Yours. What's um, yours? Well, mine is the hallway. The hallway. It's, it's very meta, but like them, like Itoy being like, this is the end. And like having you run down that hallway and then play the mother one theme over it was very powerful to me. Yeah, Absolutely. it hit me harder this time than it ever really has before. And that's the thing too. I think I think that even though like this is a tough game to meet a deadline for, I do think I will over time replay this game because I think that it just seems like it would benefit from having prior knowledge of it before experiencing, which like is a lot to ask. <laughs> that like <laughs> the the real way to experience Mother Three is with a fine wine and on the second go. <laughs> it's like all right, I only got so much time. Thankfully, it's only like a it's only like a twenty five hour game. That's so true. Like, it it but. It sure as hell feels like it was Persona 5 R length. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah, it's especially like... weird having played in like short chunks over the course of many months like I did as well. Like I, I am, to be perfectly clear, like I think at 31 hours or something in my playthrough. Whoa. But uh, I was at 25, I think. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, it's still like it definitely feels longer than it is, even though it's pretty short. But it's uh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I again i'm coming at this from like a really kind of conflicted place where like i i like so much of what the game is doing but i just found so much of it to kind of get in its own way and uh that 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 kind of bums me out about it but i do think like well first of all i know for sure that i'm definitely going to finish the game um because like i got past that shitty boss and now i'm like kind of pretty close to the end so like why yeah, not? you'll be fine you're um, in the clear but i also think it's gonna push me to go 
finish Earthbound as well, which I think is exciting. Um, yeah, that's true. I highly recommend that both of you finish Earthbound. It'll I definitely will want to. Yeah. Mother Three mean a lot more to you, and also yeah. it's it's the it's the better game. Hot <gasps> dick. <laughs> well, when we do our I'm Earthbound actually, bonus, I'm really curious how I feel about that. I, I've always because like when I started Earthbound, I I was like immediately into it. Like I like I said before, we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know once I finish it. I would love to talk about Earthbound once we're like <laughs> actually further in on the show at some point so yeah. yeah we've been recording all day dear listener i know this game is a 20 hour fairly short rpg this episode <laughs> has maybe been the longest since last of us part two uh which was like a goof that like will and i had a couple days ago we were like well it's not going to be last of us two length at least but here we are <laughs> The, I, I I woke up this morning. I woke up at 6 a.m. to try to finish this game for the episode, which I, again, happily did. And we started this. The sun was out. It's like pitch black outside suddenly. I haven't eaten is, all day. It is dark in my room right now. Yeah. There's a, there's a bathroom light illuminating the side of my face. I hope your world is good to you. Yeah. Same, Lucas. The sun's down. <laughs> but uh, all I have to say, Will, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really am glad you finally got to join us on the show. And I'm also really glad we got to hear your perspective on this game and this series. And, and it was a great time. I had a, I had a wonderful time today. Excellent. I had a great time too. Thank you for having me, you guys. Yeah. Of course. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Will, where can people find you on the internet? Um, uh, oh, Unless you part. don't want people to find you on the internet, in which case <laughs> no, you don't have to say anything. I got, I got a public Twitter. You can hear my obnoxious opinions. I am uh, <laughs> at W-A-L-A-P-R-A-T Wallaprat on Twitter.com. Okay. And that's kind of it. I guess everywhere else I'm that too. Great. Uh, Let me write your theme song. That's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Will's a very talented... Speaking of music, you're a very talented musician. Just want yes, to say, for the record. True. Well, I'm excited you, for you to release some stuff publicly. Someday. Someday. You can also find Will at conquersbadfurday.biz. <laughs> <laughs> what <not> the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Brandon's in a, in Look a forward to the Conquers place. Bad Fur Day bonus <laughs> where we talk about... I'm not going to finish that sentence. There's I, a poop boss. Look, dear listener, <laughs> Brendan and I are very open to covering a lot of stuff outside our comfort zone. There will never be a Conquer's Bad Fur Day <laughs> There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. Maybe in like, if you go to the Star Trek Mirrorverse, like that's all we talk about. <laughs> it's a Conquer's Bad Fur Day show. Uh, Even as a here. shitty I'm 11 sorry. year old, I didn't want to play Conquer's Bad Fur Day. <laughs> If you have anything to say about Conker's Bad Fur Day, <laughs> hit me up at Wallaprat on Twitter. I know the I know the poop song by heart. Hey Will, where can people find you? At Conker's. <laughs> <laughs> Even the people that made the game didn't want it, so they just gave me at Conker's when they were done with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh this one hurts <laughs> ow my stomach the sun is out and my stomach hurts can we wrap up <laughs> yeah we should stop hey uh these bonus episodes uh exist thanks to our patrons thank you so much uh for for backing the show you can do that over at patreon.com slash into the cast uh you can also go to into the cast online for all of our links um any money that's donated to the show allows us to do bonus episodes it's kind of our rule is uh, as long as even one person is backing the podcast we will make bonus episodes every month but uh that said thank you to all who are doing that if donating to the show in any way affects you negatively financially please do not back the show it is very okay if you need to cancel your subscription at any time 
That is very okay. Everything is very okay. Uh, but thank you to those of you who are back in the show. Uh, you make a lot of stuff possible, like these episodes. Outside of that, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. <laughs> that actually, I think that's it. Uh, th- those Etsy. are all... Yeah, LinkedIn, our, our Conquers walkthrough slash commentary. It's all out there, baby. Conquers. We sell Conquers Bad Fur Day merch <laughs> on fangamer.net. Oh, God. We're, we're answering leakage. Okay, just for the listener, <laughs> what led to leakage MP3 was just hanging out with Will all day. I feel like you that brought about the leakage. At, you and Pablo. It was great. Thank you for that. But we're entering leakage vibes right now. I think we should... Uh, <laughs> we gotta stop. We gotta stop before it's too late. The oh, heart my, You of guys those... are gonna shit when I tell you what I just found. What? What's up? Oh, no. I'm scared. Oh my god. Fangamer.com slash collections slash conquer brings you to a Conquer's Bad Fur Day merch store. (laughs) We've made a mistake. Don't send the link. I don't want to know. I'm not sending a link. (laughs) I spoke it out loud and (laughs) now the demons are crawling into my mouth. At Conquer's. That's all you need to know. (laughs) My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I need to get it the fuck out of here, honestly. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Uh, thanks, Will, babies. Thanks for uh, joining I'm, us. I'm Will. You can find me at Walla Pratt. You can catch the show later. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> Bye. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't have a bad fur day. <laughs> no. Bye-bye. We love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We love you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>